Okay, good morning everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I we are uh, <laughs> we come to you this morning in some perplexity. I have to admit that uh, in one way the release of the movie soundtrack this past week seems perfectly timed uh, for the discussion of uh, poetry and song that we had planned to have. But in a different sense, it has been uniquely inconvenient because it has completely scuppered the riddle, the riddle that I wanted to do for this week. Uh, my intended riddle for this week had been to talk about the number of the actual songs from The Hobbit that are going to be integrated into the film, but now with the soundtrack released, it sort of seems like we already know that, so um, I can't any longer ask that question, and Trish and Dave and I have been talking, and we're kind of stumped as to figure out what else to, uh, to ask, so... Um, so uh, we would like to start off a little backstage talk here and see what you guys think. Um, to, for for those of you who are new, I think people the yeah, people remember it, is every single thing that was sung on screen in the Lord of the Rings films on the the uh, the com- commercial soundtrack. Yeah, basically, what what Dave is fishing for is could we still ask it anyway? I mean, if the only two things that are listed, um, which are clearly songs from the book, or at least adapted from songs from the book on the soundtrack, are the two dwarf songs from Chapter One, "Far Over the Misty Mountains," "Cold," of course, and also the. Um, Chip the glasses and crack the plate song. Blunt it's called Blunt the Knives uh, <laughs> on the on the soundtrack. Um, what? It is. I... Yeah, yeah. It's called Blunt they the, give knives. the Knives. Primary villain. Which is interesting. Oh, there it is. Performed by the dwarf cast. I didn't even see that. Well, well, I'm glad they have the song. I'm 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 right. The name is something. Come on. And they and they do uh, they do some serious Cirque du Soleil antics to it too. From what I've seen on screen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, so basically, Dave's question is essentially: Do is there any hope that something like, yeah, Billy, the one that you just mentioned, the uh, uh, the fifteen birds and five fir trees um, song by the goblins, for instance, or the down to Goblin Town song, uh, or of course the Tra La La Lolly song by the elves? Um, uh, <laughs> is there any chance that we will get any bit of any one of those in any form? If they're not, if it doesn't appear on the soundtrack, and I'm kind of thinking, no, I I don't think that we really can, um, uh, sort of expect that that would be, um, yeah. Yana uh, says that all the songs that were included in the extended release of the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. So, um, yeah, I, that's what I thought too. So, so I don't think we can hold out enough hope for that to actually still be able to ask our riddle. I think we have the answer. Unfortunately, and Sharon says maybe as chance, you know, and I had thought about that too. Maybe off in the, you know, like only, it would be like only those of us who would recognize it would hear it in the background. But I still think it would show up in the in the soundtrack. And I've listened to the whole soundtrack, and trust me, there <laughs> yeah, is I think so too. I mean, I also suspect that um, right, Sharon. That was the other the other thought was well, you know, maybe they'll just like recite. So, you know, or not have them sung so it doesn't appear on the soundtrack, but it could still be in the film. But that's very hard for me to imagine, given the songs that we're talking about. There are six songs in The Hobbit up to up through out of the fire, uh, out of the frying pan into the fire, and um, the only the four that are not included, that is, the four other than the dwarf songs, are ones that are almost impossible for me to imagine being worked in in a non-musical way. I mean, there's the tra la la song, and could you imagine them doing a dramatic recitation of the tra la la song? <laughs> oh, I, I, still, I, still have this, I still have this mental image of that scene we see where they're circling the dwarves on, on horses. 
you know, and going tra la 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 down in the valley. No, really threatening me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. And and then you've got the th- what what I am counting is three separate goblin songs. You've got the you know the the initial uh, down down to Goblin Town song in chapter four. You have the fifteen birds and five fir trees song, and then you have the that. After that, immediately after that, the goblins burst into a different song, which is basically a reprise of the Down Down to Goblin Town song. That's the uh, burn, burn, tree, and fern verse uh, that they come out with later on. So you've got three different goblin songs and the elf song, and I just can't see how any one of those... I mean, again, if you're not going to have the goblins singing Down Down to Goblin Town, you're certainly not going to have them chanting it or just reciting it. So... um, now, Sharon, that's an interesting idea, um, uh, and and Sarah just had a just had a similar uh, thought. Sharon suggests, um, will any of the missing songs or poems be alluded to in a single line delivered on screen for Tolkien geeks to recognize? So even if we don't have them, are we going to get any kind of nod to them? Uh, and Sarah, at the same time, just said similar. You know, will the word will tra la la lolly ever be uttered by anybody in any context in the film? Um, so, Dave, we have our conundrum for when we do the digest on yeah, this episode. Yeah, I was, I was planning on doing. Uh, I was planning on doing something like that for the conundrum. It was going to be the, the Trollolali song or the the, the uh, Five Fir Trees song. That's a maybe that's something we can work with. Uh, the, the how many of the songs will make their way onto screen in some form or fashion? Right. Right, because yeah, that we could include. I, just Sharon, I was thinking the same thing. Sharon just added uh, that you know, an orc could growl fifteen birds and five fir trees, you know, without actually singing the song. Um, yeah, which that's true. I, I mean, that certainly is. <laughs> that certainly is the kind of the kind of adaptive choice that I can certainly imagine them making. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. Well, yeah, you know, in the Down to Goblin Town, I mean, Billy kind of wrote something that made me think they could do it like a marching chant, which is you basically know, which what it is on the, in the, on the in the um yeah yeah in, in the book it's it's clearly a marching right. song. I, I say clearly from the rhythm of it, it's clearly a marching song. Um, so it may be recited, you know, as a hup to hup to kind of thing, as opposed to music, possibly. It's still hard for me to imagine, but possibly. I mean, like, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, <laughs> like Ugluk from the Lord of the Rings films, you know, somebody in a costume like that saying, you know, snap, crack, the black, crack. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I have a hard time with that. Because um, it would I'm sound glad we're, uh, I'm glad we're recording this because now we're, we're uh, anticipating all of the great discussion that we could could be having on the episode. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, so, so I, I, I will, su- I submit that the, the fact that, uh, the fact that we're, we're, we're sitting here discussing this is evidence that this could actually be a good question. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Dave always that's brings true. you back to Earth, that's doesn't true. he? Okay, so, so with, with the adaptation suggested uh, by Sharon and others, um, if we think of it in terms of adaptation, 
writ large rather than simply incorporation as songs. Um, so the the riddle would then be yes. uh, how, how many? Do, Is it I'd still quantitative? Either, let's okay. do either a how many, like, like a quantitative, or or if we think it's appropriate, multiple select. Choose all of the ones that you think will be part of the song. No, actually, that'll look terrible in the grid. Okay. We yeah, we we couldn't really grid that. <laughs> no. All right, so quantitative, yeah. I guess. <laughs> quantitative is simplest. So yeah. how, many, how many of the how many of the songs songs will yes. be referred to in some way, shall we say, or shall right. we, will be included right. in some form? Or, or could we do um? And could they, we do can, uh, we can... something like uh, how how will they be incorporated? So um um uh, we could do so like the 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 answer the very pessimistic answer would be. Um, uh, the only songs included on screen will be the ones that we've seen named in the soundtrack list, and the rest will not be a part of the film. Uh, the next one would be they will be referred to with, uh, in sort of uh, with with uh, kind of Easter egg lines or whatever, right. um, just just to satisfy the purists. They're you know with a single line or something. Um, uh, the the slightly more optimistic answer would be the. Um, uh, that significant portions of the songs will will be included will be will be recited on screen, but perhaps not to to music, and perhaps right. in an unusual way as a part of dialogue. And then we can even just for the heck of it, we can include include a a, a delusional option. Right, a desperate holdout version. Yeah, yeah, despite the evidence, I firmly <laughs> believe that there's these songs will make their way onto the screen. Right, and that would be a that would, I I would I would put them in exactly the opposite order of how you. Yeah. Just yep, recited exactly. them so that A would be the yes, all six songs will be sung, um, will be sung during the course of the films. Yep, yep. Okay, good, done. So Dave, you I'll can you can uh, visit um, the uh, fi- the well. I I'm writing it up oh, now, okay, but you great. can fix it. Yeah, I'll fix it. Fix it as we start the uh, episode. Then. Oh, hey, hey, and Trish, we have uh, we have a uh, uh, chat window available now, right? Oh, we do. We do. Yes, on the on the Riddles in the Dark page on the Mythgard Institute website, mythgard.org. I will do that. I will do that. Yeah, Dave, I'm leaving you alone with this riddle. Yeah. Don't screw it up. <laughs> All right. So what do you say we, we, we officially begin? All right. Let us officially begin. Yes, right, so I will me, do that. Uh, Let's let me start the, 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 the um, fun dance of getting the radio broadcast going. Okay. Okay. And uh, while he's doing that, Yana, I don't count. Home is behind. Um, I'm, the, the, the question is only about the songs from the original Hobbit. So of the six, of the six songs that are... That are that are in the first six chapters of the published Hobbit. What of those are going to be adapted specifically? Be the framework of the uh, um, of the question. So that means, for instance, I mean, if if they are if they were to um, to incorporate other so like the the other references they have to other Lord of the Rings songs wouldn't count. All right, we're ready. Whenever you guys, whenever you guys are. By the way, I, I can't find the chat thingy, so if you don't oh hear from me, that means I can't find it. Yeah, it's not there right All now. Right. So anyway, I'll keep messing with it. Uh, 
I'm going to count us down and then I'll intro us. So, three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute and Middle Earth Network Radio and a variety of other organizations, including the Tolkien professor, published author, and audiobook recorder. And uh, <laughs> we, we are back after a long, uh, I think a relatively lengthy break, and we're trying to, to get in as many episodes and riddles and as much discussion as we can before the film comes out in like just just under a month now, I think. So um, we have a ton of stuff to discuss today. We're doing the, the probably the, one of the most hotly anticipated topics of all the topics that we said that we were going to do, songs and poems. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, the, the team today. I am uh, your co-host, Dave Kale. And with me, as always, is the Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson, and also Trish Lambert. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. So, yes, we had been wanting to talk about the songs and poems for quite a while. And, of course, as it happens, uh, uh, this week leading up to this episode, they went and released the soundtrack of the film. So uh, that is... Uh, well, either fortuitously or infortuitously timed, depending on your point of view, because we learned a lot uh, about the songs and music um, just before we were about to speculate about it. Um, let me start off, though, by kind of talking a little bit about uh, sort of what is interesting about this, because it's not, you know, some people might consider it like the sort of the height of purism um, to think, you know, to go through The Hobbit and think about these, you know, these these often kind of silly little songs that are included in the book and be sort of hoping that those songs are going to make their way onto the, uh, onto the film. 
and I just wanted to talk for a little bit about the songs in The Hobbit themselves, because of course, uh, you know, as anybody knows who listens to my podcast, or certainly anybody knows who's read my book, uh, I love the songs and do? spend a lot of time with the songs. Yeah, it's true. I, believe it or not, I'm interested in the poetry. So, um, so yeah, basically, one of the, it's one of the things that I really set out to do in my book. One of the things that I felt that really nobody had done with The Hobbit was kind of take the songs seriously and really look at them carefully and think about them. And I think that the songs in The Hobbit, you know, one of my main contentions is that they are very interesting, that they are very, that they are very intricate, and that they are extremely thoughtful, even the really silly ones. And that Tolkien is really doing a whole lot of work um, in those songs even the songs like tra la la which just seem really silly and drive people crazy. Um, so I want to just talk for a second about the kind of work that I think that Tolkien does in those, um, because I'm going to be interested. I, I, you know, I, I will be, having thought as much as I have about the songs in The Hobbit, um, I will be very interested to see not just whether they're included or to what extent they're included, but exactly what kind of work they're made to do in the film version um, and how thoughtful they are, that is, you know, uh, Jackson and Boyens and team, are about the, uh, the 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 role that those songs play uh, in the story. Um, the one of the clearest illustrations of this is the you know the major dwarf song in chapter one. Um, one of the lines that really jumps out at me about this is the dwarves sing their song, and this comes without sort of preamble. That is, we're not given any introduction to this. They're just having the you know, the unexpected party is going on, and then. You know, they get the they they call for the instruments and they start they start playing music and then Bilbo tells us a part. You know, we 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 get what we are told is only a portion of the song that they sing and we get Bilbo's reaction to it. Um, so you know, they're they're we're not told how, we're not given any cues therefore about what is being accomplished, what's happening in the song, why we're being told this song in the first place. It's just kind of atmosphere and it it always it seems to be. Uh, and it really kind of puts Bilbo in the dwarvish frame of mind. But later on, when Bilbo says, um, you know, they're talking about setting off on the adventure, and Bilbo says, well, I, I would like somebody to explain what it's all about. You know, he's saying, look, nobody's even said what, where we're going or what we're doing. And Thorin responds to that by saying, well, didn't you hear our song? Right? You know, in other words, I've already done this exposition for you, Bilbo, but I did this exposition in poetry, not in prose. And that actually is, and of course, Bilbo insists on having it laid out all plain and clear. He wants to hear the prose version, and so Thorin gives him the prose version. And this actually is a pattern that I think that we can see happening a lot in The Hobbit, where Tolkien does, uh, does a lot of the work of exposition. He does a lot of backstory. He does a lot of character building. Character building not only of individual people, uh, but of entire races and nations uh, through the songs. And often that is, as it is in chapter one, followed up by some prose exposition. Just as Thorin gives us the prose version of the history of the Lonely Mountain and the attack of Smaug following the song, um, so too we get, for instance, an introduction to goblins and what goblins are like in the Goblin Town song, 
um, if we listen to that carefully, we learn a great deal about the goblins and goblin culture and what their plans are uh, for the dwarves and the hobbit and what their nature is like. And uh, we learn a lot about them from that song. And then on the next page, the narrator gives us some prose explanation of what goblins are like, but we've already heard it. You know, we could say like Thorin, you know, well, wait, but, you know, or the narrator could have said, well, didn't you hear the song? You don't really need me to explain to you about goblins now. Um, but he does. And it, that tends to be the pattern. The pattern is he'll do the poem first and then he'll give the prose exposition. It, it, it sort of, he sets us up for it and then he spells it out. And I think that that's a really important pattern in The Hobbit because he, the, 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 the poetic effect if you actually do read the poems and you think about the poems, they will have an effect. You won't necessarily gain all the prose information uh, that you get from the, from, the, from the narrated accounts. I mean, goodness knows there are many details, for instance, of the attack of Smaug on the Lonely Mountain uh, that we do get from the prose version that we don't get from the poem and we wouldn't have been able to guess from the poem. But of course, there's a great deal of stuff that we get from the poem that we don't get from the prose. And what it is is exactly that much less tangible, much less fact-based, much more evocative uh, and emotional kind of experience, just as Bilbo has that experience of seeing the desire of the heart of of feeling rather the desire of the hearts of dwarves when he hears the dwarf song so um, so too we also can have that experience we can have a kind of visceral understanding of the goblins and what they're like from the uh, from the slap from this you know snap clap the black crack song um, then you know th that is that is far more powerful in its way than we get from from listening to them talk hearing the narrator talk about them but so we've been set up for it first as i said i think the order is very significant and very deliberate on tolkien's part first he gives us the poetry and leaves us with these impressions he builds these images in our minds and these sort of these sort of emotional constructions that he shows us he shows us the hearts of the dwarves he shows us the hearts of the goblins and then he tells us about them so that when we hear about them, we're already prepared. When we hear the narration, the prose narration of the story of the, the attack of Smaug on Erebor, um, though it's not called that in chapter one of The Hobbit, we already know the sort of the emotional significance of that, of that moment. We are ready sort of emotionally, uh, though emotional isn't quite the right word, to, to fill the gaps um, and, to, and to give to the prose, to the, to the bald comparatively bald prose account a kind of significance that it clearly has to the characters um, and as I say I think that we get this we, we get this this that kind of pattern in more in more than one place this is the same thing that we get from the elves as well this is one of the effects of the Tralalalali song we get that before we get anything else about the elves it is our first impression of the elves and it is immediately informed we are supposed to and this is i think what people have so much so much of a hard time with um with the tralalalali song is that it seems dissonant with what comes after whereas with the dwarves and the goblins say the two things seem to go more obviously together we hear about the passion of the dwarves for their craftsmanship and we get these these uh, horrific images of the attack of Smaug and this sense of the of the, the 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 rage and the grief of the dwarves in looking back on it we get all that stuff in the song and then we get a description of what happens and we're ready to go back 
to the the stuff that we learned the 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 less sort of definable stuff that we learned from the you know impressions we got from the song and are ready to apply it and it fits well with the prose account that we get well when we come to rivendell we get the elf song which sounds absurd Ridiculous is the narrator's word to describe it, so Tolkien is not making any attempt. I mean, he's, he, he, he has himself labeled it a ridiculous song, so that reaction doesn't seem inappropriate. Um, it sounds ridiculous to us. And then the prose account that comes after, the thing that the song seems to be setting us up for is the description of Elrond, the references to the fall of Gondolin that we get. In fact, the elves seem to be anything but frivolous once we get past the song. Once we get past those elves that are singing on the on at the river, and we actually meet Elrond and we're in conversation with Elrond, the elves never look frivolous again throughout the whole the whole rest of chapter three. So the combination of those two things, the combination of the the impressions that we get from the elf song with the actual prose description of what happens in the interactions we have with Elrond and the rest of the re the residents of Rivendell doesn't really seem to fit together. And that's why I think people have a really hard time with that song. So, but I think it still does work. I don't think it's a deviation from the pattern. I think it still is the same pattern, but rather what he's trying to get us to do there is to combine two things which don't seem to fit very obviously together. He wants to juxtapose. He seems to be attempting to, ju to juxtapose this kind of merriment uh, and fun and joyfulness, which is so extreme as to sound ridiculous to the much, much more serious dwarves, and even Bilbo, who still takes himself, perhaps not quite as seriously as Thorin takes himself, but still apparently much more seriously than the, Riven than the elves of Rivendell take him, um, were to combine those kinds of things that we see in the song with the high seriousness and even tragedy of the elves as we're introduced to them when we get there. Um, and that dissonance, I think, is part of what Tolkien is trying to do. I mean, I, I, I argue in my book that he's trying to do this, and it just doesn't really work that well. That is, I, I don't think he's, really, he's perfectly successful in achieving this. And I think that's why the elf song and the whole depiction of the elves of Rivendell seems to fall flat for people, because I think it, it didn't quite work. But this is what it seems to me that he's trying to do. I think what he's establishing is something kind of like a paradox. Um, because the elves are beyond our experience, are beyond human comprehension. They don't, they, you know, to get a glimpse of the desire of the, of, of the hearts of elves is to come into contact with something much more alien, I think. And that's what he's trying to do, I suspect. Anyway, this is my description of how I understand the songs to be functioning in the Hobbit book and why I think they're so important and why I think they serve to make the story so much more powerful if you pay attention to them. So that then leads me to the question of how these songs are going to be adapted and why I think it's an important question. I don't even know, for instance, even the most basic question, how much of this kind of thing are the the adapters thinking about you know what is what what is their view of the songs are they seeing the songs as anything but curiosities are they seeing the songs as anything but like fun interludes um there was certainly some of the songs that had a powerful emotional impact in the lord of the rings i'm not trying to say that all songs are all songs in the films are frivolous but are they doing you know what kind of thinking are they doing what kind of role do they see songs and verse playing in the Hobbit film, if any. Um, 
And so that's, that's for me personally, that's kind of where I start off in asking this question about the films and trying to think about how they're going to incorporate stuff into the movies. Okay, so I Fantastic. will end lecture mode now. <laughs> um, I've actually just been thinking about this again. As Dave mentioned, uh, just on the reason we're having our broadcast on Thursday instead of Tuesday this week is that I was in the recording studio all afternoon, all morning and afternoon on on Tuesday, uh, recording the unabridged version of my book uh, for the audiobook version. So I've just, just been thinking about this to like us. Yeah, well, you, no, not the book, but yeah, I mean, but this stuff is all really fresh in my mind are you because I just yourself. I'm totally plagiarizing myself. I just yeah, I just re I just, you know, reread in full uh chapters 1 through 4 of my book that you know, the day before yesterday. So, um that whole so pattern fresh is in really mind. fresh in my mind. Yeah. And and not only fresh in my mind like it in some ways even fresher than right after I wrote it because uh, you know, when I was in the process of writing, I, I rarely sat down and read through the first, you know, like four chapters at a time in one sitting. So uh, that was that's actually I kind of in some ways had to have a better perspective on it now than before. Um, so, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. So, so, Dave, go ahead. So you laid out you laid out um, uh, a very good sort of argument for for the importance of the songs to the book and why people should as they're reading through the the hobbit why they should actually read through the songs maybe even read them mm -hmm. out loud and not just skip over them um and uh, and i'm certainly convinced and i and i will say that that it's largely under your influence that that in 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 subsequent readings of the hobbit in the last few years that i actually <laughs> slow down and pay more attention to the songs than i have in the past yes um uh, so how should we, how how do we want to start our our kind of our, our our discussion of these? So obviously they're important. Um, that that of course by no means uh, indicates that they should be included in the the film. How do we want to start our right. discussion about how they might make their way into the film? Should we start with talking about um, how songs were handled in the the movies, or should we maybe um, just sort of? Uh, or, I, the other thing that I definitely want to cover is uh, is the handling of the songs in Rankin Bass. So yes, yes, I want to talk about that too because well, actually, let me start with that because I will say. The, the songs in the Rankin Bass, that is, in my mind, no question, head and shoulders, the best aspect of that entire movie. Um, <laughs> I completely they agree. do every single bloody song. I don't think they leave out one. I think they do all of them. I mean, did they? Trish went. Uh, Trish is in the my Hobbit class right now at Mythgard, where we we're, we're just talking about the film this week. Um, so I know that she and I have both watched the Rankin Bass film <laughs> very recently. <laughs> uh, Trish, did you notice? Were, were, did you notice any that were left out? No, they included oh, wait, 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 all wait, of wait, them. Wait, there's one. Just thought of one. They left out the. Um, they, they left out the uh, uh, "Back to the Lands You Once Did Know" song for the barrels, but that's well, because they that's right. did do the heave ho splash uh, uh, plump that's song. That's right. Um, you know, so th <laughs> so th they they only did one instead of both of the elf barrel songs. But still, come on! I mean, you got to give them credit for that, even. Now, I um, I did it did occur to me as I was watching it, and and I marveled as I watched the movie. Yes, that they included all that, but but aren't they they actually are? Weren't Rankin and Bass actually lyricists? I mean, songwriters and lyricists anyway. I mean, that's kind of where they came from, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in fact, it's... I mean, I don't want to spoil the effect here, but I mean, I thought to myself, well, yeah, I, I guess they would keep them in because that's kind of where they come from. 
Yeah, and it seems. I mean, the the film is actually billed as uh, you know a musical presentation a musical. because right. it is right. so right. full of the music. Um, for all of the things I have to say about the Rankin Bass, I will say that the songs and inclusion of the songs is a definite thumbs up for me. Yeah, yeah. Now there are I, actually I just thought of another one. They didn't do they didn't do the uh, the 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 spider songs. They didn't do um, uh, oh, that's right. old fat spider sitting in a tree, or either one of them. Yeah. <laughs> instead they make and I, I I just laughed out loud when I got to this part of the movie this past week. They instead they made lazy lob and adder cop into a battle cry that Bilbo <laughs> shouts out <laughs> as he charges with Sting into battle. He's like lazy lob. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait, awesome. um, I'm looking at the soundtrack list. They have Old Fat Spider listed. What? What did they wait for the for for the, for the Rankin on the Rankin Bass? Bass? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's they they do they there's music going on. Oh, but there's they don't oh, it's just the music. The, oh, it's just the it's music. just the music that yeah. they call that. Yeah, but 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 again, even that you see uh, shows their sensitivity to it. Like there's even the songs that they don't. Do the you know do the actual words of they're still c- conscious of you know I mean they're still they were still thinking about the old fat spider song uh, in order to name the the right, background music right. for the spiders that um, now I have to share this with our listeners okay I had the um, the the privilege of actually watching Corey watching segments of the Rankin Bass <laughs> movie on Monday night and I have to tell you that the look on his face was one of great affection. Did you, so did you I watch this in class. You have great affection for this movie. We watched parts pieces of it. of it, parts of it. Yeah, we yeah. we did we did yeah. clips. Now there are some, and it was that really, really fun to watch Corey. There were a couple times you raised your eyebrow, but yeah. more yeah. mostly you were very affectionate. It was a very affectionate look on your face, which I thought yes. was nice. Yes, no, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> now, I, the, the thing that the thing that I find. Uh, you know that that I find most difficult to forgive about the Rankin Bass film is the the enormous the movie. peculiar visual uh, dis- decisions that they made. You know, what I mean, like why? <laughs> yes, on earth? yes. Me, like why on earth? Frog the Gollum. The way that they did. Like, yes, the frog Gollum. Yes. And the Wood Elves. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, you got an Elven King that looks like a, a looks like the Grinch's cousin. <laughs> yeah, and and the and the he does he does and and the the. The actor who plays Bilbo, I mean, I'm sorry, but he appears to have about the range of a porcelain doll. I mean, Bilbo <laughs> speaks in exactly the same tone of voice in every situation, no matter what. In his drawing room, uh, to Smaug, to Gollum, I mean, like, nothing phases. It's like the most implacable Bilbo. Yeah, it's true. Um, and that drives me bananas. But uh, but anyway, you know, so and, I mean, there, there, there are things that I dislike about it. And like, and oh, and visual decisions. Why does Smaug have hair? I don't understand. <laughs> My smoke has whiskers, and and uh, or, like a whole ruff of fur down his back. It just it's it. I don't get it's perplexing it. And Elrond's Elrond's freaky thing around his head is really yes, odd, his like little wood elves in general. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I well, know. I mean, in Elrond, you know, Elrond's an elf, but he doesn't look anything like you know. The, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, so the but, the songs, you know, the songs. But the songs. Thinking about how the songs, the songs. are used, for instance. <laughs> In the Rankin Bass version, they do some really thoughtful things. It's not just that they include them sort of slavishly, and I actually do think one of the greatest weaknesses of the Rankin Bass screenplay as a whole is the fact that it uh, that they are too slavish. Um, to the, I mean, I was kind of making this argument uh, on 
uh, in class on Monday that I think that the film would have been better served by cutting the Battle of Five Armies than yes. doing yeah. it in the perfunctory way that they did it. And may, I mean, they, they contrived instead, they, they, they did it, but they contrived to make it really boring and stupid and anticlimactic. Um, so I, I think they would have been better off just cutting out the Battle of Five Armies entirely and having Bilbo going home after the death of Smaug. Um, I think they would have done less violence to the book, actually, had they just done that than if they than, than as they did in keeping it. But anyway, um, it could be the, worse. It's not as bad as what Ralph Bakshi did. <laughs> but see, there again, also, that's another adaptation which. Um, uh, again, the visuals in the Ralph Bakshi are even less understandable. I mean, well, like, why? Who on earth? Like, why is Boromir a Viking? Uh, anyway, <laughs> but it, it's fine. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm over it. Why is Boromir a Viking and why is Treebeard a carrot? Those are the two things that I will never understand. But, um, so, uh, but, but there again, I mean, like, the, the, the actual script of uh, the Bakshi version is like a pastiche of quotations. I mean, it's, 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 uh, there are very few lines which are, I mean, almost all of it is adapted from the text um, directly. Um, uh, I mean, that's that that was that was Peter Beagle's whole approach to the to the Bakshi. As long as we're um, as long as we're taking turns lodging complaints against these these old adaptations, <laughs> the one I have for Ralph Bakshi is why are all the ring raids legs broken, so that they can't walk normal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I don't understand the whole like low speed chase flight to the Ford thing. I don't understand, yeah. but um, but anyway, yeah. Anyway, the, the songs, <laughs> the songs. Digressing. Um, so the songs. Uh, the, 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 in the in the Rankin Bass version, they do do some interesting things. In fact, there's even one place that I found interesting. In fact, uh, Trish, this is a spoiler because I plan to talk about this in class tonight. Um, is when they when they do when Bilbo falls asleep and has his dream right bef- in the goblin cave right before they're captured. Uh, the Rankin-Bass version actually does his dream. They do a version of his dream. Um, and what they have him, d- what happens in his dream, he dreams a little reprise of the chip the glasses and, cr- and crack the plates song. And I find that really fascinating. I think that's a brilliant move um, that we see, you know, him in this moment, especially in the way that they do it in such an accelerated way in the film, of course. You know, we have this, that song is in fact um, very, very similar to the Goblin song that the Goblins are just going to do. So he has this, uh, this, this dream about the dwarves invading and messing up his house and singing uh, their sort of threatening song. And that is sort of the warning flash that he has given for the goblins who are about to come in. I think the way that they do it is really cool and really interesting. Of course, that's not exactly done uh, that way in the book. But it seems to me very much in the spirit, uh, really a very a very careful reading of both the Goblin Town song and the Chip the Glasses song, I thought. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the, the Rankin-Bass film does very, very interesting things with the songs. As I say, it is, it is, uh, it is, it is my favorite part. There are some, some things that they do that are a little bit puzzling. Like, for instance, they do um, Bilbo's uh, Roads Go Ever, Ever On song. Um, but they insert it not at the end when he's coming home, which is where we get it in the book, but they put it when Bilbo is going on the path through Mirkwood. When they go out into Mirkwood and they're on the path, that's when we get the Roads Go Ever Ever On song with a lot of the same lines and, and the same images, um, which 
placed in that different context sound very strange and very interesting. I think I, this, this, there's, there's a lot I think that could be said with what they're doing with the Rhodes Go Ever Ever On song. They don't do the last bit of it, um, you know, like the uh, you know the uh, uh, the eyes that fire and sort of seen and horror in the halls of stone look again on Meadows Green. I mean, that's the explicitly returning home part of it, and so they cut that bit out because it's not returning home in the film. But um, anyway, I, you know, I, I am, I, I am, it is, it is the one thing that I am willing to give most credit to Rankin and Bass for, and that is in, not only in their inclusion, their choice to include the songs, um, but in their thoughtfulness about the songs. And I think that there are some places where they're even doing other things which are totally unrelated to how the songs are, are acting in the book, but I actually think that they're using the songs what about to their, convey uh, some other things that what they about don't their, say in prose. What about their choice to have the goblins utilize um, synthesizers and to sing their, to turn their songs into <laughs> disco tracks? But that's very insidious, right? I mean, what says evil more plainly, more manifestly <laughs> than disco tracks? I do find those songs the goblin songs, and that includes the the orc song from the Return of the King adaptation. The, 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 oh, the, where there's a whip, there's a yes. way. that greatest classic of all Tolkien adaptation. <laughs> yes, jeez. Oh, I find those to be the the catchiest and and most hummable songs. Like I I I'll, I'm ashamed to admit that there there will be just random occasions where I will start humming that as I'm going about oh, my day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, that song is iconic. I mean, absolutely. Uh, now, absolutely. Now, I do, I, I do want to, you know, I kind of sent you a garbled version of this, Corey, and I, I'm still worried that I didn't express myself very well with this. But, you know, one of the things that I was saying is putting this, this movie in context of its time and its, in its, its medium, I think, is very useful. You know, children's animated features, I mean, Disney started this. You know, the musicals, that whole thing with having songs be in the children's animated features had kind of been started by Disney. So on this one hand, you know, that, that kind of set the tone for including all these songs. And then also the fact that it was, you know, 
know, a TV movie as opposed to a screen movie, the network, and 77 was a time when the parents lobby for, I think this explains our deflating great goblin, you know, the, the yeah. anti-violence and all that stuff, very strong. So I, I actually think, I, you're right, you know, you said about the close reading. I mean, I have absolved, I think Rankin and Bass and their writers really did try to do their best with this, but I think they were hemmed in a lot by censors and parent lobbies and the network and whatnot. So I think that explains some of the strange things we might yeah. see. Yeah, that does seem, I mean, I don't know enough about, you know, TV network politics uh, to be able to to sort of comment on that, but it makes sense to me. I mean, I can certainly believe it. Um, and and certainly, as you say, there are, there are, you know, you can do stuff in a film, which you might then have to, right. are, but you can still do it. No one's going to stop you doing it. Yeah. Um, whereas the public TV networks are very, under much more uh, rigid. Right, control. right. Right. So anyway, I mean, that was just an interesting thing to put it in, in. I mean, I think today the parents' lobby isn't anywhere near as strong as it was, you know, back in those days. And of course, Jackson, if you compare Jackson's movie, I think he's got a lot more elbow room, even as yes. a movie, you know, than, than somebody would have had like in the 70s if they tried to do the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so certainly, um, yeah. But now thinking about, so thinking about this, this then would, would then lead me to the question of the songs in... Um, the Lord of the Rings films, and on the one hand, um, on the one hand, that would seem to be obviously a logical thing to do. Like, let's look at how Peter Jackson and team handled the uh, handled songs in that film, both songs that they adapted from Tolkien and songs that they um, made up themselves. And uh, one difficulty that I have with it is that. I don't think that looking at what they did in The Lord of the Rings gives us necessarily a fair basis uh, for evaluation for two reasons. Um, first of all, there is not as much poetry. The density of poetry is much less in The Lord of the Rings than it is um, in uh, The Hobbit. And it doesn't appear to and play the same role either, right? Exactly. No, it doesn't. And it's also less musical. Um, you're more likely to get recited stanzas, um, things which are being chanted, not sung. Despite Robert Inglis's uh, valiant efforts. Right, right. Yeah, though he does chant some of them. He doesn't sing them all. That's true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. And the whole, yeah, as I say, the, the way that the way that the songs work in The Hobbit just is different from the way that the songs work in The Lord of the Rings, and so you know I will be interested to see if they have a different kind of um, if they have a different kind of approach to those songs. The one how, how would you would... say just briefly ahead, yeah. how would you say that the that they are because it is obvious that they're different. What what would you say? Like the songs seem to play kind of a, almost an integral role in the Hobbit, whereas in Lord of the Rings they seem more um, they they seem more like just either either they have like a plot element, for example the the um, the the elves um, songs uh, in Lothlorien of about Gandalf after his death, right. and then even Sam's Sam's song, um, uh, but uh, where so so sometimes they have plot elements. But other, otherwise, it just seems to kind of be adding kind of color, like the Hobbit walking songs or whatever. Whereas in, in the Hobbit, they really seem actually significant. Yeah, and I think that the the thing that I would point to, and you know, any generalization like this is going to be really crude inevitably. But one thing that I would say is that in general, 
the songs in the Lord of the Rings seem to be much more interested in I want to say atmosphere, but I don't think that's quite the right word. Um, I also want to say scenery, but that's not quite right either. But let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I explained about how in the in the Hobbit, I feel that the the um, songs play an important role. Um, sometimes even in advancing the plot, but at the very least in in our understanding of the story and of the characters in it. Um, the songs seem to work primarily in The Lord of the Rings as a way for us, basically as ways in which Tolkien is making the world that he is walking us through more real. So just let me cite a couple examples of this. The As you said, the Hobbit walking songs at the beginning, right? Um, when we get the walking song, the bath song, um, you know, we are give, being given glimpses. Even the the sort of adventure song um, that we get, the 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 one that Bilbo made up um, right after they set out. Um, they uh, um, those songs show us not only Hobbit culture, but they show us the kind of like Bilbo Baggins centered hobbit countercultural hobbit counterculture that has grown up um around Bilbo and Frodo in the last you know 60 years um when we get to Tom Bombadil of course you know his songs aren't important to the plot of the to the overall plot of the story um but they are really important ways for us to understand him and who he is and what that interlude is about um when we get to um you know, when we get to Rohan and the random verse, the one which is based on, uh, which is based on the Wanderer, you know, the, uh, um, uh, you know, where's the horse and the rider song um, that Aragorn recites. Um, there's no function of that song plot-wise other than, I mean, ex what it is explicitly designed to do for the benefit of Legolas and Gimli primarily, um, and of course the readers as well, is to give us like here's some local color on the Rohirrim. You know, here is here is an idea of what to expect. And so it's not that I think that those songs aren't meaningful, because they are. I mean, you could say that it functions like the songs in The Hobbit, in that just as we learn a very great deal about the goblins by, by listening to their song before we really meet them or hear anything about them, so too we learn a whole lot about the Rohirrim from that song, which Aragorn recites, um, before we get into the Golden Hall, and it helps to set up what we see going on there and helps us to understand the point of view of the Rohirrim. But it's still, but I don't think it's, it's not quite as closely tied uh, to the story as it's developing. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I think that sort of filling out the world uh, that Tolkien has created is, you know, an unimportant thing or, or is not really significant because I think it's very significant. But most of the songs seem to have that kind of a, um, that kind of a, that kind of a function, less directly connected with the story, uh, with the story itself and more just about characters and background. Again, that's a generalization, but that's my, that's, that's how, that's, that's, that, that would be my answer to what's the difference between the Hobbit hmm. and Lord of the Rings song. Interesting. I mean, in some ways it does similar work, but I do think it's less tied up in the story, that he expects it, he's leaning on them less, I guess. I mean, if you don't pay attention to that song, you don't miss much. 
I mean, seriously, like not that, not that you don't get much from that song. I'm thinking of the Rohirrim song there, the where, right. where you know, where is the horse and the rider song. No, but it's um, not as opposed to the dwarf song at the start of the Hobbit, where it's like if you yes. didn't pay attention to that, you like Bilbo now have no idea what's going on. Exactly, exactly. That's 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 precisely the difference. Whereas, and, and, and you know, if with the, and it's the same thing like with the Wood Elves. Think about what we learn about the Wood Elves. You know, I mean, The Hobbit tells us almost nothing about the Wood Elves. I mean, we get a brief interaction with them, um, which is very unflattering, uh, in the throne room of the of the of the Elven King. But, um, but other than that, if uh, you know, what else do we know about them? What what are Wood Elves like? What is their culture like? You know, are, are they are they are they kind? Are they friendly? What are they like? Well. What we get from them is their is their songs. We learn more about them from the barrel songs, silly as those barrel songs are, um, than we learn about them in almost any other way. those kinds of gaps aren't left. We learn a lot about Gollum from listening to his uh, expanded um, fish song, right? You know, when he does when he does his little reprise of the fish riddle and adds verses to it. Um, we learn a lot about him if we listen to that, but it's not like we're not going to get that information if we don't. You know, it's not, it's, it's less essential uh, to understanding it. Uh, and some of the Hobbit songs work that way, too. If we don't pay attention to the Goblin song, well, we'll still learn about goblins on the next page. It's not like we'll be completely at a loss. So sometimes Tolkien is still working that way there, too. But I, I, I just I feel that the, the songs in the, in the Hobbit have a little bit more riding on them in that way. Or to take another example, the prophecies. Um, the prophecies of what will happen when the Mountain King returns um, the prophecies which become the focus of the people in Lake Town and then are, are, are being alluded to again. If we don't pay attention to the song they sing in Lake Town, we're scarcely going to have any idea what they're talking about. I mean, that, that entire element gets introduced in the song. Right. And that kind of thing does not seem to me to happen quite so much in The Lord of the Rings. The songs in The Lord of the Rings are, in that way, um, more kind of asides. 
yeah. rich asides, which have a, a huge impact on our reception of the story if we pay attention to them, but uh, but not um, not generally crucial to the story itself. As I said, probably an overgeneralization, but um, but for that reason, again, it makes me wonder: Are they going to be thinking about the songs differently? To what extent yeah. are you know the movie people going to be sort of sensitive to this um and in what way would they see this connected because i suspect they would see it connected to the pledge which peter jackson has made from the beginning that he was not going to completely leave behind the lighthearted and comical tone of the hobbit book that he wanted to bring in that that lighthearted tone that everybody associates with the hobbit and which is so different from the lord of the rings that he wanted to preserve that and have there be a a perceptible difference in the tone of these films compared to the tone of of the previous films Could i'll tell you the soundtrack sounds to me like it sounds trans Matt Shaw, who's with us today, has said that he's listened to the soundtrack now multiple times, and I've only listened to it once, so he could he could weigh in on this. But I gotta tell you, I mean, the soundtrack to me, other other than the two songs, well, I mean, even the Misty Mountain song is is you know is is yeah. is, is is important. It all sounds pretty Lord of the Rings ish it, it, in the context you were just talking about. I mean, it right, doesn't right. sound frivolous. It sounds pretty heavy duty stuff, yeah, and right. you know, I mean that. That does kind of surprise me, given what you, you just reminded me of, which is that Jackson was saying he was going to try and keep with the lighthearted tone of the I, of the book. I, so far, I mean, there seem there is little in the way of evidence that that he's that he's upholding that promise, or or he's right. using a very very a very very um, um, flexible interpretation of what that means, because uh, it's I think the songs are probably like one of the single single. Bet most important ways were in which he would do that. Like if he had a lot of more on-screen singing, it really would feel like The Hobbit. Whereas if he doesn't, it, it'll be hard to. But I, my my sneaking worry, and and in general, I'm very optimistic about the films and excited to see them, uh, despite other things that we've said in the past. Um, <laughs> but I would say, I, I would say that my my sneaking worry is that. They're, what they're going to do is they're going to toss in a lot of slapstick humor, like like Bomber sitting on the table and having it break, and then point right. at that and say, "See, we put humor in here, just like in The right. Hobbit." Yeah. <laughs> right. And and well, and the, you know, hey, the, hey, you know, great! The, it's the, the thing with the great goblin at the end of the trailer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of gag. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, okay, sure, fine, that's that's humor, but it's like, I I hope that they. I would like to think that they that, that 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 they understand the book well enough to know that it's not the same thing, you know. Like, right. fine, you're gonna pass it off for the for the movie going public, but like for for those of us who've read the book and are familiar with it, don't try to convince us that this is the same kind of humor. But right. So, but so anyway, Corey, it would seem like the 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 difference that you've just laid out between the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I mean. If ever I've heard an argument for putting the putting more songs in the in the film adaptation of The Hobbit, that that would be it. But it looks, looking at the soundtrack list, it's not clear that they're actually doing that. Yeah, and I think of all of the ones, you know, I mean, as I've said from the beginning, I, I'm 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 completely and utterly reconciled to not getting <clears throat> the Tralalalali song. I mean, I don't. Not me. Expect that in any way. Mostly because, as I say, I don't think it really succeeds. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think it really has the effect for most readers that I that I suspect and believe that Tolkien was going for. Um, 
but I was uh, kind of hoping that maybe Jackson would, you know, have Tolkien, I mean, uh, Elven children singing it or something, but <laughs> right, possibly. <sighs> but uh, but anyway, you know, I, 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 I... <laughs> the Rivend- Rivendell Children's Choir. Children's Choir with a, with a little mortal boy, you know, with a stell kind of stuck in the back there. <laughs> In fact, he might just—he might be the Rivendell Children's Choir. He might be the only child left. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I, like I wouldn't expect that. I am going to miss the Goblin Town song. I mean, if if there's no Goblin Town song, I'm going to miss it. Um, but uh, but you know, the one thing that I would want to say is that I am I'm going to be very interested to to. Uh, to hear. I still haven't gotten to listen to the soundtrack yet. Um, I will be very interested to hear the entire um, "Far Over the Misty Mountains" song and to see it really how they do that in the film. Um, its use in in that first trailer that we got last year was f- fantastic. I mean, that was like head and shoulders. Uh, I thought the 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 most um, the most excellent. Re- revelation about the films in that first trailer was that song and the way that that song seemed to be being deployed because I think that again based on what we saw and I'm basing it still primarily on that old trailer um, the way that they seem to be using the song did strike me as as somewhat similar to how the song is being used um, in the book and I th- I'll, I'll be very interested to see how they do that. Um, and that, of course, that, that there's nothing, you know, there's nothing uh, frivolous or comical about that song uh, in the book either. Um, and so seeing how they, how they maintain that, even just the way in which, you know, sort of Thorin starts off singing it as if narrating, right? You know, as if like he's going to tell the story and he tells the story by singing. Um, and, uh, and then he, uh, and then the other dwarves all, all join in. I, that I thought just it was it works really well, and I will be as I said I'll be very interested to see because I suspect that there it sounds like that that's like the thing that I pin my hopes to about the fact that they 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 may be using the songs, you know, not simply as sort of interludes or something, but actually to be integrating it with the story in ways which might be co- uh, comparable uh, to the way the songs are used in the book. The chat room is up. I'm just sending out the. Um, oh, good. It's on the main rules of the dark page in uh, uh, on the MythGuard.org site. So if oh. people want to go over there and chat among themselves, they can do that. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, Philip points out that that the Far Over the Misty Mountains song seems too long uh, to include in its entirety in the film. I agree. I mean, it's. It's what seven verses long, right? So I mean, it's it, it is certainly a long song. I don't think they could do every single verse of it, um, but uh, but you know, they could. St- I mean, they they could still. What I'll be interested to see. Well, actually, and and those of you who have who have heard, because the the whole song is on the is on the soundtrack, right? Yes. Okay, so yes. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten to listen to it yet, as I said. But, but, but Trish and the rest of you who have, um, do they do both parts of it? Like, do we get both an introduction? Because you know, in in the song, uh, in the book, 
we get two things. We're talking about the desire of the hearts of dwarves. The song is is kind of split in half. The first half, more than the first half, really almost the first two thirds of the song, um, is focused on the dwarves, the the dwarven craftsmanship, right? It's, it's focusing on the the stuff that they make uh, and their 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 works of hands. And then it segues at the end to a. Uh, description of the coming of the dragon uh, to the Lonely Mountain. Do we get both elements of that in the oh, song? Oh gosh, now I don't remember. Matt or somebody else who's who's heard it. Do you guys remember if it's there? That's that's what I will be interested to yeah. hear to hear how those things are emphasized, because you know when we get, you know when we are told again to, to quote again that famous phrase from chapter one when we are when we are introduced to the desire of the hearts of dwarves. Um, by that song in the book, it's both of those things, right? We get the first primary right. emphasis on first, first try to understand, uh, first try to relate to the relationship in general that dwarves have with their works, right? So that this is not just a question of, oh, like I, I have a, I, you know, this is, uh, this is my house and you've taken it away from me and I'd quite like my house back. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not what's going on there. And you know. This is something that I was thinking about also um, from that new TV trailer that they just released, the one where mm-hmm. Bilbo is doing so much of the talking and he's talking about helping them get their homes back and um, how Bag End is his place and where he belongs. Um, uh, that I find that I find very interesting um, be- for two reasons, because first of all. Um, that element, the element of the the quest for the Lonely Mountain as homecoming by the dwarves in particular, that idea of home uh, and, you know, the place where they belong, is an element which is very little emphasized in the book. Um, now, I will say that is one that does seem to come out much more later on. Thorin, in the quest of Erebor, talks like that a great deal more than uh, Thorin in the, in the published Hobbit does in the published hobbit the dwarves are just about the treasure you know like the lonely mountain itself is, is like a kind of bonus um they're not thinking primarily of re-establishing the kingdom they're thinking primarily of, re- of regaining their treasure that's the whole that's the whole point of it and that's what the song lingers on the treasures and the treasures and the treasures and then once we are given this idea of the dwarves heart for their treasures then um we uh, then we see this. That's then we're prepared for the significance of the coming of the dragon. Yes, it's about the tragedy of the massacre. Yes, it's about vengeance for the for the people that Smaug has killed. Um, but it also helps us to understand. That's the note that the song ends on. You know, to win our harps and gold from him. Uh, you know, he the dragon is still sitting there keeping our treasures. These things which mean so much to us, as we've shown. Um, so, uh, so anyway, again, that's that's you know what the song, uh, you know, some of what the song accomplishes, I think, in the book. Um, I think so again, as I said, I'll be, home that's the kind of thing that I'm going to be listening out for when we see the film. What do you think, Corey? What'd you say? Maybe they mean home is their treasure. Right. Well, but you see, that's interesting. I mean, <laughs> the comparison that the comparison that Bilbo makes in the trailer that was just released. Um, of you know he's like yeah you know I understand your whole home thing, uh, right? Because uh, 
you know, Bag End is my home and I belong there and you want to go and regain your home and, and I can relate to that. So I'll help you win your home. Um, okay. I can see that. But the dwarves' relationship with their home is very different from Bilbo's relationship with Bag End. Um, and... You know, and of course it may well be, you know, in that trailer we hear almost exclusively Bilbo talking. Um, so it may well be that we're just getting Bilbo's perspective on this, that this is how Bilbo is conceiving of it, you know, that he can understand their quest because he does not really get the whole dwarven relationship with treasure and never does really get the dwarven relationship with treasure, that the way that he understands it, he himself is longing for Bag End, and so he kind of projects onto them a comparable longing uh, for the Lonely Mountain, you know, Maybe, maybe that's what we're getting. You know that we're that that's how they're going to depict Bilbo's point of view, and that the dwarves are not going to necessarily have that same point of view, or that that's not how we're going to be asked to understand them. But um, so interesting anyway. tidbit, Corey. Um, yeah, Matt Matt Shaw tells us that uh, the the Neil Finn version of the Misty Mountain song uh, uh, has uh, lyrics mentioning the Arkenstone. Yes, yes, I've been hearing rumors about that. Um, I, I think that's excellent. I will be go and and you know I'd always suspected that the Arkenstone was going to make it in because just visually speaking, um, I, I can't imagine the Weta Workshop people not wanting to do an Arkenstone. I mean, like, would they pass that up? Um, Are we talking about the so, real yeah. Arkenstone or the dwarf ring, which we're referring to as the Arkenstone? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the real Arkenstone, oh, like God. a big, wonking, shiny gem. I don't think they would have been able to pass up the opportunity. Yeah, to I, agree. I agree. And there seems to be some confusion. The Neil Finn song at the end is not the dwarf song that, that Tolkien right. wrote and that they sing in the bag end. It, it, it starts off sounding similar to it, but it's got different lyrics. So that song is a different song from the dwarf okay, song so that Corey's been a, talking that's about. That's an entirely but... novel, that's similar to... Um... Right, Similar to, to Rankin Bass's Greatest Adventure song. Right, oh, right. Yes, yes, the Ballad of the <laughs> Hobbit. Right. Which, of course, is another thing I was talking about on Monday. That just like that song makes me want to. Well, no, it's not just that it makes me want to retch. Um, it's that I find it completely incoherent, like annoyingly. Uh, it doesn't I, match. Yeah, it doesn't it, match. It doesn't the... match anything. It doesn't match itself. Yeah. One line doesn't match yeah. the next line. I mean, it is when you actually sit down <clears throat> and think it through in the way that I like to sit down and think through the songs and poems, it is a, a garbled mess. It contradicts itself from one stanza <laughs> to the next. Uh, it... I mean, it just... Ugh. How does it compare to the... Oh, well, now, the if you want to wretch... How does it how does it compare to the Return of the King song? Uh, uh, it's so easy not to try. <laughs> uh, well, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the Return of the King. Of course, I will never forget where there's a whip, there's a way. Like <laughs> that, I can still sing that song end to end. I think, but the rest of it uh, is a little fuzzier in my mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, it, but, but I, if you really want to wretch, let's go with Leonard Nimoy's song about Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Hey, the ballad of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> that song is that song is class compared to the. <laughs> Ballad of the Hobbit from the Rankin Bass version, the Glenn Yarborough thing? No way, man. I'm taking Nimoy over Yarborough seven days a week. I mean, I mean the Bilbo Baggins song, the Nimoy song is like, you know, I mean, that it doesn't get campier than that. 
but it's got. Oh, I know. It's true. But its main fault is simply its campiness. You know, at least its <laughs> its campiness is relatively coherent. And it, it's anyway, no, you're right. Just, the Arborist song is very serious. I mean, it's it, it kind of is, I suppose supposed to add some some gravity to the story, but mm. yeah, and it's I don't know. I mean, the 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 primary theme of the Glen Yarborough Ballad of the Hobbit song and the Rankin Bass is. It's it's as I forget which one of my students it was in class on Monday characterized it as a carpe diem song, which I think is a very good description of it. Um, you know, it's all about how like adventure lies ahead, and you know, it's 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 you know the future is in your hands. Are you going to break the mold of your life and step out and 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 do something adventurous? Or are you just going to let life pass pass you by? Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's thematically very different from where Bilbo really is in chapter one of The Hobbit. But, you know, whatever, I can live with that. Um, what what bothers me about it when I'm talking about its incoherence is then he has verses in the same song where he's talking about dreams and dreamers, which <laughs> I, every time I hear it, I expect it to be basically praising them, you know, being like, oh, you know, it's it's the dreamers. It's those who are like willing to, to, to you know, to, to, to dream big and step forth. But no, actually, he's criticizing them. You know, it's like, you know, the, those dreamers who just sit by the window and don't do anything. And it's like, wait a second, but that's not like, what does any of this have to do with Bilbo? Like, he's neither one of those things. And, and there's this that's whole, true. like, don't he think. Didn't, he did, did know, not just, sit by the window and dream. <laughs> no, exactly. It's, I don't know. It just, like, the whole, the whole thing just does not make sense to me. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, I find it, I find it very annoying. So let's, but, um. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the the songs that we know for sure are in the film, and that we have we that we've actually uh, heard. Um, maybe maybe we'll start with the. Well, that'll Misty be short. Mountain. Yeah. Well, the Misty Mountain. We'll start with the Misty <laughs> Mountain song, and I I haven't actually listened to the Chipped Plate song yet, so I'm kind of curious to hear how that one yeah. goes. Yeah. Is that actually? Trish, tell sung? me about that one. Well, it, it's it is sung, and it's not on the it's not on the soundtrack that you guys that we can listen to at this point because it's part of the extended edition. But there oh. is the Denny's, the Denny's um, uh, little re- the Denny's restaurant featurette, which I think I put in a the comic book movie number four of the notes that I have up for you guys, or that uh-huh. that Dave put into our little thing here. That's got some. Um, um, scenes from when they're singing the song and they're like throwing plates and Keely, probably Keely and Feely are doing like somersaults and catching plates on the fly. (laughs) By the way, that, that while they're singing the song, I think we can all agree that Denny's thing, um, that, that, uh, if, if Tolkien was still alive today, that would have killed him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, I, Yeah, no, I was. Uh, and they've was... got like plates stacked and all this kind of stuff. You mean you mean the fact that Denny's actually did like a little featurette? Of oh it? no, just yeah. like the, no, uh, that blatant the, kind of commercializing. That that is the kind of stuff yeah, that would have yeah. just killed him. Yeah. Like like. <laughs> yeah. Just, like yeah. the Gandalf the Grey gravy boat or whatever the heck. Yes, they have I mean, the... come on, jeez. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No, I was actually, I made a joke about that at, at the Boston Book Festival when I was just there. The first person who was asking questions was saying, you know, asked a, a very serious question, which of course I made a joke about. And she said, uh, you know, do you think that, you know, uh, Tolkien ever anticipated that, um, that his, uh, his, his work would, would, you know, would, you know, become what it has become? And I said, you mean the inspiration for a Denny's menu? Uh, like, no, no, I don't think he envisioned that. But no, I mean, of course, because I, I, was, 
I was making a serious point that, you know, no, I don't think he imagined it would have the positive impact that it had. Uh, but certainly, no, I don't imagine that he ever imagined that it would have this kind of spinoff. Though in some ways, you know, perhaps so. Um, you know, thinking, you know, Trish, thinking about the, the comparisons that you've made uh, in your Mythgard work between the Snow White stuff and right, Hobbit stuff. Right. You know, that, of course, that model was out there. I mean, you know, we yeah. tend to assume that this kind of crass, you know, mercantile commercialization of, of stories and films like this is a modern phenomenon, and it's not a modern phenomenon. It's not, no, no. Uh, in fact, know, one of the points I made was... Yeah, the year that, that Snow White came out, which was 37, the same year that The Hobbit came out, one of the papers that I found in my research said that the UK was awash a in Snow yeah. White merchandise. Yeah. That, that there's no way Tolkien could have avoided it because he had an eight-year-old daughter and a wife who was doing the shopping. You know, I mean, every time they went outside, they had to see something Snow White. So, yeah, I, I, he certainly was aware of it. Right. Didn't like and, it, I'm sure. but Right, exactly. And when people, you know, the, when... Uh, when you look at the things that both um, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis went on uh, record about in commenting about Disney, um, right. the word that they kept using, as Trish has pointed out, is vulgar. You know, they talk about vulgar. vulgarity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people will t sometimes tend to kind of dismiss that as simply, um, you know, snootishness on the part of the Oxford Dons. Um, looking down at this American businessman. Um, and no doubt that's a big part of it, but I suspect that this is one of the primary things that they're Yeah, I think about, it is. You know, that, that basically Walt Disney was shamelessly a businessman who was trying to yeah. capitalize on this stuff and maximize his profits. And right. you know, he was not first and foremost an artist. Um, right. And that, I think, is what... And, and therefore, and, and they believed, Lewis and Tolkien believed, that, I think, that this impacted you know, his, his entire artistic vision, that his films really right. show evidence of this and suffer for this. And that right. is what they're identifying as, as his vulgarity. So yes, um, you know, would Tolkien absolutely just, would he be appalled at the vulgarity of the Lord of the Rings stuff that's out now? Yes, I think he would be absolutely appalled and would consider it deeply vulgar. In fact, that's, I think, what we saw in uh, some of Christopher Tolkien's comments right. in that Le Monde interview. I agree. So, so apparently the first Nannies opened back in nineteen fifty in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> what do we think the chances are that that Tolkien ever ate at a Denny's? Zero. <laughs> zero. Yes. Zero. Um, I so, think it's zero. So I just I just flipped through some of the clips from the uh, on that uh, the Denny's little featurette, um, unexpected party featurette, and the the scenes of the dwarves singing the 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 chip the plate song are interesting uh at least the ones that i saw were very were don't strike me as the kind of thing that uh would make it onto a soundtrack it's not a song it was kind of more them sort of singing shouting it, and it right. kind of sort of starts pointing at uh, some of the possibilities for how songs might make it into the the thing and um actually so like as opposed to it being kind of an orchestrated sort of official full song similar to the Misty Mountain song, it might be something where instead we get uh, the cast 
singing bits and pieces of the the verse of the song, maybe maybe unaccompanied by music or shouting it or reciting it or something, as a as right. a as a as a you know kind of a, a pointer or an Easter egg to the song, but uh, not the full actual song in the sense that it would make it onto the 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 soundtrack. I mean, so right. the soundtrack. Well, it listing, is on it is on the soundtrack. Well, the the soundtrack listing lists blunt the knives that's no guarantee that the actual singing of the song is in that that could just be background music that's played during that scene uh i think it's you know between armitage talking about dwarves loving drinking songs and i think it was jackson or boyan's talking about oh, it was boyan said that dwarves are more like a rugby team than you know elves are like posh when they go on their adventures and dwarves are more like a rugby team i think they sing it like a drinking song actually well yeah, yeah. but but that doesn't mean that it's going to be on the soundtrack so so actually lord of the rings features a number of kind of drinking song type songs with like the hobbits dancing on the tables at the at the um the prancing pony i don't pretty sure those aren't on the uh the the soundtrack are they so i'm kind of wondering if maybe there's a possibility that 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 the some of the songs might make it into the film in that form um as not a full not a full-blown song the kind that you would actually uh, orchestrate and accompany with music and then record and include in a soundtrack but more just sort of very informally uh. having the cast kind of sing and shout together um, and filming a bit of it and showing it on screen so so yeah. basically what I'm driving I don't know at what is I mean just because the other songs the song aren't listed as just because the other songs aren't listed as on the soundtrack doesn't mean that there won't necessarily be appear on screen in some form or fashion right Hey, can I ask? Uh, yeah, that's uh, like I could see the snap, the snap crack one being like a, I'm sorry, like a right. army marching type song, a uh, chant. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, yeah, can, I, can I ask uh, Trish and, and and Matt and others who have who have who have gone to listen to the soundtrack already? Um, does the do you recall if the phrase "thumping pole" gets actually sung in the in the Blunt the Knife song? Pound them up with a thumping pole. Does this happen? Well, see that now. Here's the, the bluntness is not on the standard. It, it, yeah, oh, I think right. we that's have right. to wait and see. It's, that. it's not. A, it's it's, it's, it's not on standard. the standard version. So yeah. So and the only piece that I've seen, I have to go back and watch the featurette again. I mean, it might be. I don't know if the Denny's featurette actually does the whole entire song. I'm have to go to a Denny's, I guess. Ugh. No, it doesn't um, appear to it. They 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 have like they have like uh like three or four lines of the song and it's and it's basically the the at least the one the the clip that i saw and i didn't watch it all the way through closely but the clip that i saw was basically the dwarves standing like four or five dwarves standing around bilbo and basically shouting that's what bilbo baggins hates and then raising their glass oh no well there's another one where they're singing and throwing plates at, at dwarves who are doing cartwheels and stuff and catching plates on the fly and i think they're singing during that too um, but anyway, so I, I I'll do some research on this and get back to you, Corey. So thumping pole, I'll have to. Thumping pole. That's my favorite line. Pound them up with a thumping pole is my favorite line in the Chip the Glasses song. Uh, and I I want to I, I definitely I I just hope there's a thumping pole involved. That's all. You know. See, hey. I don't ask much. Do I ask much? I don't Not much to burn ask. Burn dwarves, no. thumping pole. Burn Come dwarves. On, I'm easy to no, please. That's right. That's I'm right. Hey, I. I and also brass buttons. Now, one of the things that I wanted to point out, by the way, is we do have a song, I mean, a track actually called Brass Buttons. 
And I remember in an earlier one we talked about, yeah. Now, I, I actually want to diverge a little bit and get in my favorite, my latest favorite um, theme that I've been harassing you guys with. Yes. Which is um, the idea that Radagast is actually the one who finds out that it's Sauron rather than Gandalf. Because remember, we've had a, an issue with the timing of how the heck is Gandalf going to get to Dol Guldur and then back to Bag End and where is this yes. going to happen? And yes. it occurred to me that actually this may end up being Radagast's role. That he's the one who goes, oh my god, it's Sauron, I must tell the White Council, and heads off on his, on his bunny sled to do so. And it does kind of make, that, that allows us to do the timing. The Empire Magazine article that Dave quoted from twice, both in Riddles in the Dark and in Secrets of the Hobbit, says that the Gandalf at Dol Guldur scenes moved to movie two. And then also my third piece of data is the fact that the Radagast theme from the soundtrack, the one that's actually the Radagast the Brown theme, shows up again in the Hill of Sorcery track. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thinking that Radagast may be the person who comes to the White Council and says, Alarm, alarm, alarm. I have now determined that the necromancer is Sauron. So anyway, well, that's th my... That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to report that it's Sauron. Maybe he just reports that there's a necromancer dude messing around. Could, could. But I mean, what it means is that that explains that Gandalf doesn't end up going to Dol Guldur in the first movie. But we still know something's going on. Bill has to, so we'll just invent a completely alternative history of the map, which is possible. I mean... They could certainly do. Oh no 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 no! Well, that you're right. Actually, well, it could. Yeah, it could be an alternative history of the map. That's right. Well, it, yeah. it, it has that, to be. It, yeah. it has, and, and I, I, I think that's actually entirely likely. Boy, we're yes. getting way off topic now, aren't we? All right, we're bringing it back to songs. Really it's my quickly. fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Really, but... really quickly. So, so we'll we'll say our piece, and then we'll go back to songs. But anyway, I would say, I mean, this is something we've been speculating all all along that in the in the original history of Middle Earth. Um, at this point in the story, when Gandalf is recruiting Bilbo for the for the journey, they already know it's Sauron, right, Corey? Right. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gandalf and and not only do they know, they're already. Nine, I mean, Ninety-one it, years the, ago. 91. The wheels are in motion <laughs> for 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 assaulting Dol Guldur and trying to drive him out. And so Gandalf right. just happens to be arranging this this journey to the Lonely Mountain at the same time as they're doing uh, as all that. That I don't. That's not going to work on screen. And and it's fairly clear from the character descriptions we've seen and some of the clips that we've seen and whatnot that they want there to be a mystery element to the right. to these right. films of hey, there's this necromancer guy and there's a Zazog riding around. What's going on? Something interesting. And so. If that's the case, it can't. We, they Gandalf cannot know right at the outset that that um, right that, uh, right. That and I think you guys talked about this in the last in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah we've hit on this a few times. Um, it, it, you know, in fact, that they're actually starting from the 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 tomb of the Nazgul or whatever, and and that's going to be like the first thing that the White Council. So so I actually think it's I I think Corey that they probably are rewriting the history uh, um, of the map. Uh, yeah. Of the map. Yeah. It yeah. seems cuz it cuz that's another thing that they mentioned in the article that the scenes of Gandalf at Dol Guldur probably got pushed to to um the second film so it seems it, it seems like they must be changing that and um and i and i kind of, i think we kind of we kind of speculate all along that probably Radagast was going to be the first person to bring the necromancer right. storyline right. to the to the attention of the white council because he lives in Mirkwood so it seems right. it seems seems it seems like it wouldn't be surprising if right around the time that the dwarves and Gandalf and Bilbo arrive in Rivendell 
um, that that Radagast the Brown, you know, and and just so happens, I guess Saruman's there for some reason too. Radagast the Brown comes riding up <laughs> with his bunnies and says, "Hey guys, uh, something really bad going down in Mirkwood." So right. Um, and actually, in one of the other TV trailers, we've seen yet another a very quick scene of the spiders attacking Ross Goble. So it could be that that's another thing that, that happens that yeah. triggers Radagast. He gets to attacked and driven out of his uh, home or something. So. Yeah. Right. Or be. maybe that's yeah. why, because they suspect that he knows, and so we've spent the we've sent the spiders to, to shut Radagast up. <laughs> um, <laughs> the spider Put a contract well, out he, on Radagast. Maybe he wasn't exactly. paying his. Maybe he just wasn't paying his protection money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so but no, I mean, back to when songs. you think about it from the other direction, I mean, Radagast, like, what else is he going to do? I mean, right. what are the yeah, roles he's supposed to play in this in right. this story? Um, especially since, apparently, I mean, if he's not going to be making the, if he's not going to be a part of the deliberations, if he's not going to be sort of an official part of the White Council, which they pictorially suggested, um, then, uh, then, well, then what is he going to do? You know, so that that certainly does seem does seem plausible, but I like yeah I like your your evidence Trish of the uh, the Radagast theme in the Hill of Sorcery. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so that, so to that's, me, that that's was some, that's that's some very that's some very uh, some very strong uh, musical and evidence. Very clever how you did that. You brought it back to the music. How yes. about that? See. That's, well, okay. Working. So. So Brianna um, posted in the, the oh Sharon Sharon says thumping pole is in yeah Sharon Hoff says she listened and thumping pole is in because we actually we do have a full recording of the song and it is it is arranged and orchestrated and all that kind of stuff um, I uh, uh, I posted a link to uh, a Tumblr post where somebody somehow has linked to the full blunt the knives song um i posted it in the chat and it, it is Excellent. it so is we will fully... probably contribute to shutting down their page yes. <laughs> and dave kale has written oh wow i'm completely wrong i am going to put that on a t-shirt yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh wow i'm completely wrong that's good that's good um, so cool. And, so something pole is in. And Billy, Billy Isabel pointed out that um, the Hobbit drinking songs and whatnot from the Lord of the Rings films are in fact on the the soundtrack, or at least maybe the extended one. So, so, so my uh, my theory okay. about maybe the blunt and I that 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 has been defeated. Um, I mean, it's still yeah. possible. Maybe we'll get get uh, <laughs> or goblins singing Goblin Town esque type songs that aren't on the soundtrack, but at least Blunt the Knives we have confirmed is a real song, much like the uh, the Misty Mountains one. So cool. Um, uh, and it it's pretty it, and it's pretty like it's uh, it's the the song. Um, I don't know if you guys want to attempt to try and listen to it while we while we do the episode. Um, it makes it hard to to talk to listen to what everybody else is saying when you're blasting the song. Trust me, but uh, yeah, it, I could... it is a it is a full blown like it, it, it's 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 kind of what you would imagine it would sound like um, uh, the way it's described in the book. It, there's instruments. I don't know if we'll see glimpses of dwarves actually playing instruments, but there's definitely instruments, and they it sounds like they kept most of the lyrics uh, uh, in verse from the book. So um, it's a real song. And this, the scenes that I've seen from this song being sung are, 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 I think, this is one thing that I think Tolkien would approve of. I mean, let's leave Denny's out of the equation, but I think the uh, way okay. they've they've done this, I think, is just right in keeping with, you know, what what we would have mentally pictured of this anyway. So I think it, they're, I think this is going to be a thumbs up scene. 
Yeah. Well, good. I mean, I'm excited about it. I think that it's 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 interesting that they're going to have that. I will be interested to see um, what kind of role it plays in the establishment of the dwarves' character, which seems to be part of what's going on with it. Um, but yeah, no, I'll be very interested to hear that. We should probably get towards. Uh, it, it, we've we've been sort of talking, as is our want, kind of talking around our riddle um, and mm-hmm. not uh, saying what it is. So we should probably spell out. Our riddle, which we have formed with the assistance of <laughs> of, of our our live participants here, um, uh, my the original idea that I had for a riddle for today was simply trying to s- just just asking how many of the songs um, in the first six chapters of the published Hobbit there are six different songs, uh, and that's if you count. The, the goblin song separately. So it is in chapter four, we get the down, down to goblin town song. Then in chapter six, we get the 15 birds and five fir trees, which is a different song to a different meter uh, and a different tune uh, that the, that the goblins sing. But then right after that, they sing another song, uh, the uh, burn, burn tree and fern, which is just a reprise of the goblin town song. So that's that, you know, a, a, a different verse, but counting that separately, we have six. Um, so the two dwarf songs, Chip the Glasses and Crack the Plates, the uh, Far Over the Misty Mountains song, then the Tra-la-la-lolly song, and then the three goblin songs that I just described. Those are the songs that appear in the text of The Hobbit in the first six chapters, which uh, we all are convinced, some of us more or less cheerfully, is going to be the end of the first film. So... <laughs> My initial question had been a much simpler, how many of them do you think are going to be adapted and actually sung uh, in the Hobbit film? And then they went and released the soundtrack and seemed to blow that question out of the water because now we know, apparently, at least I think uh, all of the evidence certainly seems to suggest that we'll get two of those, Far Over the Misty Mountains Cold and the uh, the, the Chip the Glasses, or excuse me, Blunt the Knives. Um, <laughs> and I'm still not. I'm not sure what to do with the change in the title. By the way, um, copyright maybe. I don't know. No, I wouldn't be. <laughs> copyright. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they would have changed it, but no, I don't. I don't think because they have the rights to it. Um, yeah. So no, I, I think what it's. But it's interesting though. Like we're going to be talking instead of talking about glasses, we're going to talk about knives. Um, and I yeah. want knives if there if if there's some kind of uh, uh, sort of, I don't know. Not exactly combat implications, but there's something more threatening um, uh, with blunt knives. Anyway, I don't know, but uh, but so I'm I'm still not sure what to do with it. We'll see. Um, but anyway, as, as I said, it's the problem is it seems like we have that answer. Up at least you know there's no evidence of Tralalalali or down down to Goblin Town in any of the uh, in any of the song in in any of the soundtrack stuff. So. Um, uh, so okay, so anyway, so w- w- that's where we were, kind of, why we were kind of stuck at the beginning of the episode because uh, at sort of the last minute that uh, that idea was kind of scuppered by the soundtrack. So we have adapted it, and we're going to still ask a similar thing. Um, so our, let me get back to our wording of it here. Um, we're still going to ask basically, will the six songs from the book be included? You know. Are, be included in how. Um, so we have our, these are our four options. Option A, as always, is the book answer, which in this case is contrary to all evidence, all six songs will make their way into the movie. That is, we're going to actually sing all six songs. Um, and there does seem to be evidence against this, but you know, if you want to <laughs> insist on the book answer, you still have this, uh, you still have that option. Option B 
is significant portions of songs will be included, perhaps as dialogue or poetry, but not accompanied by music. Uh, so that would be if, for instance, we get them actually chanting the down, down to goblin time. I mean, if we do get goblins running around, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and saying, you know, uh, uh, you know, clap, snap, the black crack, grip, grab, pinch, nab, if we get them actually chanting that, but that it's not musical, and so therefore it doesn't make it onto the soundtrack, then this would count as B. So that we're still getting the text of the songs, um, but we're not getting, and similarly, if there's, if there's, a, if there is, you know, any, like, elf dialogue that somehow follows the lines of the tra la 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 song. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, here, like, if we get elves teasing the dwarves for their beards and uh, saying that Bilbo is too fat to fit in keyholes, I would count that as B. Yes. Um, even though that's, you know, that like, the too fat to fit in keyholes and stuff, like, those things that I just quoted are not in the song, but still, I mean, it's going in that they, direction. I would, they I would, ask, I'd be willing they ask to them the pointed... Asking them the pointed question, will you be staying or will you be flying? <laughs> That's right. That's right. If there are any reference to, to, to Bannocks, I'm there. So anyway, so uh, option C, so you'll see the, the options are going in the direction of decreasing use of songs. Option C is most or all of the songs will be referenced on screen, but little of the verse will be included. So this is basically the Easter egg version. You know, so you know you might get, for instance, uh, some but some elf somewhere in some context uttering the word "tra la la la" or something like that, <laughs> but not in the context of a song. I would, um, and I would say it would be really... more. I would say it'd be more likely if you got uh, a couple of sneering goblins commenting on how they had. Um, uh, you know, like, oh, it's like 15 birds and five fir trees, eh? Something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, having them go over that. Because, I mean, the 15 birds and five fir trees song is very gruesome. I mean, the way that they pay attention to the details yes. of of uh, how the dwarves are going to be screaming in agony and how their, their flesh is going to crack and their hair is going to singe and... Um, uh, you know all of the different senses that they involve in the description of that song. One could easily imagine a dwarf doing a, a, a goblin rather doing a prose version of that, um, and sort of a gleeful anticipation of the suffering of the dwarves as they're about to burn alive. Um, which, <laughs> but but yes, yeah, so, so you know, so B is if we get a fuller version of it. C is just like brief references. You know, like I said, that kind of Easter egg thing. I mean, the reference to 15 birds and five fur trees, if it, if it happens, uh, like, you know, Dave was just describing, and as Sharon was suggesting earlier um, in our discussion and before the show, um, if, 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 if we get a line like that, then that's basically like an Easter egg. Nobody but devoted fans of the book are going to get anything out of that, are going are gonna to understand the significance of that at all. So that would be, that would be C. And then option D uh, is the only book songs included will be the two listed in the published soundtrack. So that is, there really won't be any trace of, um, you know, for, for, for this case, there won't be any trace of the tra la 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 song. There won't be any trace of the Goblin Town song or the 15 birds and five fur trees. It's just, you know, we're going to get those two dwarf songs and then that's it as far as the book songs are concerned. Um, I will add that, you know, we don't have in, involved in this prediction any other you know, music or things like it's, right. you know, it's not about um, any, any additions or references to Lord of the Rings songs or anything like that. Just or the Rankin songs Bass from songs. the published Hobbit. What? 
or Rankin Bass songs. Song. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If somebody if somebody breaks into a refrain from uh, from Glenn Yarbrough's Ballad of the Hobbit, you know uh, that will or, not count. Or Leonard Nimoy songs. <laughs> Now, that, that I would give them props for, you know, if, they could, if, 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 I mean, in fact, it would be something like if I were Howard Shore, which everybody should be glad I'm not, um, <laughs> it would, like, I would be totally tempted to do, to, like, to have some, like, you know, homage to the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins uh, at some point in some piece of background music. I, like, I, I, you know I what mean, I'm holding uh, out for? I'm holding what? out for a ca- I'm holding out for a full music video cast rendition of that song, including <laughs> uh, with the lead sung by Benedict Cumberbatch in full necromancer costume. Oh, they should. <laughs> they should. Yeah. Now that sounds plausible. That sounds plausible. <laughs> they should have used that instead of Neil Finn's song for over the credits at the end. That would have been appropriate. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Maybe that will be the post-credits spoiler, uh, uh, like surprise. Surprise. Uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then the actors dressed up as Azog and Bulk, dancing a jig and singing this song. <laughs> what the ballad of Bilbo Baggins? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not holding my breath for that. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. really pleased. I'm actually really happy with the, with this question. I think this is a really good. I question. know. Um, For as much as trouble we had coming up with it, I, I think, think this came out actually pretty I think good. Three of the four answers are all very plausible. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> oh wait, we have to vote now. Shoot. I um, know. Okay. What do I think? I was thinking I might wait until uh, the digest, but. <laughs> yeah. No, you've been talking in this episode, so you have I to Yeah, you're obligated I to know. vote. So, um, I know. And it's not changed by the fact that I just totally made up that rule. It's now officially the rule. So. <laughs> and Dave agreed, so there you go. Okay, then it's really I will go first. I will go first. And I'm going to say C, Easter egg. I think that they are going to um, make references to it. I would expect something along the lines of the 15 birds and five fir trees reference. You know, if not that, then something like it. I could even imagine them doing something to do some kind of a tra la 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 Easter egg. If only because, although, although, you know, that song does not generally succeed with Hobbit book fans, and so therefore is unlikely to be adapted in the film, um, Although that's true, it is also a very memorable moment in the in the book, and something that would I think be a very effective Easter egg. You know, given the the kind of effect that Easter eggs are designed to have. Um, Absolutely. So Absolutely. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, on that note, just just a clarification question, Corey. What would you do if if on their way into Rivendell, the dwarves pass by pass by elves doing their doing a Lord of the Rings style Gregorian chant song in Elvish, <laughs> and it turns out that the translation of that into English is the words of Tralalalali? Uh, that would totally be C, no question. <laughs> that's I mean, an that's Easter egg. Like... That, that that is like uh, you know like that's like a hardcore Easter egg right there. Yeah, if if they sing portions of Tralalalali translated into Quenya in any in any Sinai, language, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's 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 pure. That's 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 exactly uh, uh, a, a, 
a C answer there. That that would be amazing. A like them singing a very serious sort of meditative like elvish song, and then subtitles saying, "Where are you going? <laughs> Beards all a wagging." <laughs> no knowing, no knowing what brings Mister Baggins. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, I can only hope. Yeah. That would see, be great. See, this is exactly this. The reason why the films would suck so much if I made them, like if you and I made them, Dave, is that we would pour all of our time and effort into doing things like this, and you know, neglect all the basic things of film storytelling and stuff. We would just be packing it with the with the with the most hilarious Easter eggs possible. Hey, um, Sarah brings up a question that I actually had thought of too, and I think Dave is usually really good at this. Um, do you think the judges will have a hard time coming up with, uh, and of course Sarah's saying this because she, I think she's one of the judges, she's um, one of the judges between yes. B and C, yes, between well, I mean, B and I think, C. I mean, how would you? Right, that is a bit of a judgment call. I would say, let's see, for this, the difference really lies in whether or not the songs are going to be, like, okay, so, so A is the songs are incorporated as songs as they are, which seems unlikely. Um, B, I feel, I feel like I have to give that disclaimer when we talk about A. Um, <laughs> B is basically the songs are still incorporated, just not as sung. You know, so they're they're being incorporated in some other way. So in order for the answer to be B, it would have to be like you know. So if a goblin just says, "Oh, fifteen birds and five fir trees," that's an Easter egg thing. It's not an incorporation that's of the song. That's right. You'd have to have at least right. two or three lines of it yes. for it really to be incorporated. I mean, so because if we get goblins marching through the tunnels, um, uh, you know, and chanting. To, you know, to each other without music, chanting, you know, grip, grab, pinch, nab, and down, down to Goblin Town we go. I mean, if we get that, then that's, that's B. That's a B. That's, that's B, B. yeah. Um, whereas C would if, be, if, uh, C would C, be like the kind a of C thing. version of Goblin? Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, C would be basically one line from a character yeah. that, that, that causes Tolkien fans to look at each other and say, oh, hey, they just did a reference to the song. Right, but which but which people who don't know the books wouldn't pick up on at all. Yeah, yeah. B, okay, B's so here's my question. Bees the kind of thing where what it's going to we... be fairly noticeable because they, they, they verbatim recite lines from the song or close right. to it. Okay, so what if we have what Corey just said, you know, which is we have the goblins chanting as they march and we have some Easter eggs? Then it's B. Um, and then it's B, yeah. Then it's, then B. it's B, okay. All right. the, the, so the B supersedes B. C. Okay. Yes, the, the the premise of C is that it is they are they will only be used as Easter eggs. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I'm uh, going to put will only be referenced. Yes. On screen. It, it, any 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 reference to the 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 uh, the difference between D and C is in D there's not even references. We're getting the two songs and the and and, and it's interesting that both the songs occur at the an unexpected party and then it, so what happens in D is essentially we get some lighthearted singing at the beginning and so that Peter Jackson the filmmakers can say see we kept the songs it's got that same feel and then as soon as they leave Bag End it turns into a Lord of the Rings film no more singing. Right. Uh, or songs or references or anything like that. C is basically right. 
they they make a good solid effort to make to make us Tolkien fans happy by by tossing in a you know a, a reference to birds and trees and something you know an elf making a comment about the the you know the the dwarves beards or or asking them whether they'll be staying or leaving soon stuff like that right b would be b is like literally the songs the text of the songs is incorporated into the script somehow right Got it. Okay. And yep. then A is yep. Rankin Bass. <laughs> which is, is not likely. <laughs> okay. Yep. So yep. I what I did was I, I rewrote C to C to say most or all of the songs will be referenced on screen with only a passing reference or a snippet of verse. That's right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that should help the Sarah, that should help the judges. So let's see. Okay, let's so, look at the songs. So what do you guys think? You guys have to go on record now. We know, I, Dave asked thing, we know one and two are definitely in, so that leaves us with Goblin songs and and the Trolla song. Yeah, yep, that's not, really what we're talking they're about. Not used, they're not incorporating that into the film. See? <laughs> <sighs> Boy, I sure would like to see that that goblin town song you know turn into a marching chant but that would be b yeah but i think it's probably more likely to be c so i think we're going to have unanimity here okay now, and I, i'm going to be really disappointed if they don't give us some easter eggs with with regard to the songs. I mean, if it turns out to be b d i'm going to be really pissed <laughs> yeah i would be i think that's what i would be most surprised by really um i would be most if, if surprised it was just d yeah yeah, if they if they if they just if they just ignore it entirely, and the main reason that I say that is that so far I have been so impressed with how 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 thoughtful they have been. I mean, they have um, they have been. It strikes me anyway, very dutiful in their reading of the text. That doesn't mean that they're incorporating everything. It doesn't mean that they're making the decision to 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 you know involve everything from the published book. But they're not just ignoring stuff, you know. They're not just kind of leaving it behind and going off entirely on their own. There is—I've been able to see rationale um, for you know most everything that they have done. So I would be surprised if they just if they just don't go there at all. Um, I, I, that's just kind of my own my own hunch. I think that maybe D is a little bit more likely than A, but. I certainly think you know B would be my second, would be my second choice certainly. It it does seem. Okay, so I, it does seem James Pace made a comment which I agree with, which is it it does seem odd that you would have two songs right at the beginning and then nothing the rest of the movie. Yep. It, it seems. It, yeah. Strike me as a very bizarre transition, but given given what we've seen of the published track list as well as the the material they have to work with, namely. Some some thoroughly non-serious songs like Tralala Lally and Fifteen Birds and whatnot. It just it's really hard to see those songs fitting well um, in any substantial way with a Lord of the Rings epic style film. So yeah, though uh, the one thing I will say is, um, you know, a year ago I might have said the same about Chip the Glasses and Crack the Plates, um, but that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, it is certainly, and you know, and certainly there was never much hope for the Chalala Lali song. Um, I was holding out <laughs> some hope for uh, for the Goblin Town song, 
Uh, yes. Certainly. I, I I think the Goblin Town song is the most seems like the most likely, likely. one. It's 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 kind of yeah. easy to imagine turning that into kind of a uh, a a marching song or or parts of it having like the as they're marching the dwarves down to Goblin Town having like the goblins kind of you know walking along in the darkness and then trying to trying to antagonize their prisoners by leaping out and yelling shouting snap and crack and things like that and now they sound like the now they sound like the guy the rice crispy guys rice crispies <laughs> crackle pop <laughs> But you can do swish smack and whip. Yes, <laughs> yes, and, uh, that's right. Pound so, pound far underground. You know there are definitely lines that could. That be. seems like the most likely possibility, uh, in, in my opinion. But um, I don't know. I just it's. Really and I'm hard happy to, to report that a number of our listeners are going with B, so they're not swayed by our by our unanimity, which I think is a good okay. thing. Definitely. Oh, good. Good. There's okay. precedence for drinking, eating songs in Lord of the Rings. Sharon says. Does Does that mean maybe we'll get 15 birds? Because that's kind of a cooking song. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a pre-eating song. Yes. Yeah. You know? True. True. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, so we all pick C. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Billy says B. Sharon, Sarah's a B. Sarah's Sharon's a B. B. Is Brianna's Sharon... with us. See, yeah. And Billy actually changed his mind. <laughs> He's very ambivalent. <laughs> uh, are you reading Sarah's? See? Sarah's making a caveat as a judge. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Oh, Sharon hasn't gone with B yet. Okay. So yeah, so B and C seems to be those are the two, which I suppose not surprising would be the two most popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So, those, are, those are definitely the most likely. So I, I have two last things that I want to to that are slightly off topic that I want to cover um, before we go. One is a question from from Yana that I think is an interesting one, which is looking at the soundtrack list. And actually, let me let me scan it really fast. Um, nothing on here looks like a prologue soundtrack. When I listen, I actually, I think, Cor, I think I said this to Corey. Yes. When I listened to the to the My Dear Frodo track, I, you know, I was, I noticed this in particular because when I thought My Dear Frodo, I was expecting it to be more Hobbit themed, and I think there is a little bit of Hobbit theme in it. But there's also some very deep themes in that My Dear Frodo track, and what that led me to think is that the prologue music may be part of that track. Yeah, it's possible. Yes, there uh, there have been a couple people. So Sauron, uh, or so so Brianna pointed out. She specifically named it. She said Sauron's melodic themes are all over the soundtrack. She says Gandalf's in danger theme, which plays at the beginning of Two Towers when um, when uh, he's fighting the Balrog, presumably the flashback there, are actually play during uh, Dear Frodo. So maybe that's where. Ah, that's okay. Been, possibly. I don't know. What were you saying, Corey? No, I was just going to say that uh, several people um, who have posted on uh, either the Riddles in the Dark page or the Tolkien Professor Facebook page have <clears throat> been basically taking great hope for our prospects of the Battle of Azanulbazar uh, from the soundtrack. There have been some, you know, pe people who have definitely drawn uh, some. Um, 
some optimistic as an old bizarre conclusions from the soundtrack yeah, so far. Count Father Roderick in that group. That's what he told me last week. I, I yeah. remain skeptical. <laughs> um, yeah. There are two bonus tracks titled Erebor and the Dwarf Lords, which look interesting and promising for prologue yeah. material. Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. That's I had thought the about that. Lords, that that might be. Um... What could that possibly be other than than some than a history lesson? Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly. And Erebor could be when Smaug destroys it, Thorin or something. But yeah, yep, um, yep. No, that does seem that does seem that does seem possible. Can I also say that uh, I, I Brianna's comment just now and Trish, some of the stuff that you've been talking about too, I really love the analysis of the soundtrack based upon the identifiable themes. Um, that's uh, that, that that I think is a real it's just it's just a really cool piece of analysis. I really I just really enjoy that because well, of course thank movie, you. movie soundtracks Brian, do work really well that way. Brianna and I are happy to come be guests at your story of the Hobbit course next semester. <laughs> <laughs> We we'll have to have a whole other segment on. I know, I know. Oh yeah, Brianna, of, yeah, really. Brianna, write an extended blog post, and we'll link to it. Yeah, do please. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yes. It's very cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Just yeah. Throw so, away your entire a... weekend analyzing the soundtrack, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll link to it. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Excellent. Now, apparently, Brianna's now, Dave, already you had another off. Blog post. You had another off-topic question. Yes, I, I have did. an off-topic question as well. Yes. I, I did, um, which I, I, I want to do for our for our good friend Corey Matt Shaw. Strongly requested that we that we messaged um, Trish and I on Facebook and asked us please please talk about this. The Lego Goblin Scribe. Have and that was mine. Thing? That was mine. So we've yeah. got the same question. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Yes. Okay. Goblin Scribe. So the the objection seems to be primarily to having a, there be a scribe among the goblins I, at all. I don't know that there's an objection. I just know, Matt, Matt, I think in previous Silmarillion seminars and other places has, has multiple times floated the theory of the goblins having a, a, a rich and deep oral history <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and racial memory of, of many wrongs done to them by the elves throughout the past, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and so he's, he's, he saw this and he was like, aha, see, so, <laughs> well, there is. Well, and he court. then he also he also uh, teed up the idea of maybe there's some kind of kangaroo court that they have in Goblin Town, you know, where there's the scribe actually, you know, is like the so, court recorder so, or something. So he's actually a goblin stenographer. Right. right. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> he's taking the minutes, you know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I was going to say, Dave, that The Hobbit provides us the very best evidence that we have uh, to support Matt's claim about goblin culture um, in, in the fact that they recognize Glamdring and Orchrist when they see them, um, where presumably it's been thousands of years since those weapons were used against the goblins. And the fact that the goblins know them and recognize them and know their name, not just have names of their own for them, but know the names that the elves gave them, because beater and biter, what the goblins call them, are clearly derived from the meanings of the elvish names. You know, gob goblin cleaver is called biter, and foe hammer is called beater. So the, even the names that they have reflect an actual knowledge of the elven names of the swords. Um, so yeah, the fact that the goblins recognize the swords is is fairly clear evidence that they must have an oral history um, of, uh, of 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 those things, unless 
the great goblin is himself thousands of years old, which is possible in one way that Tolkien was thinking about the great goblin and about orc chieftains in his later writings. But anyway, uh, we, <clears throat> we don't have to get into all that right now. Um, so, uh, um, so yes, yeah, so, so the goblin scribe. Um, I, I, I think that that is interesting. The idea of them having a scribe um, even if they did have a rich culture, one would still kind of expect it to be an oral culture rather than a, rather than a written culture. Um, and uh, that is the one thing that seems to be seems to me most kind of most most puzzling um, is the idea that they actually have written records that the orcs are are, are in fact um, literate. I'm trying to think if we have any... Do you think, I do know. Do you think maybe, maybe scribe is like some kind of in, 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 insider joke? It's, <laughs> what, it's like actually, he's actually a torturer or something? Yes. It's a well, he actually has. I mean, in the Lego thing, he's actually got, I mean, he's actually like got some, like a tablet that, you know, and I guess a writing utensil. I mean, and the thing I thought of is why would Lego include that in the toy set if there wasn't some reference to that in the film? I mean, I was I, scratching my head over it. Again, maybe those are tools of torture. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, let's call in the scribe to handle this one. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to yeah. write all over you. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will be interested to see if there is, in fact, a scribe in the movie somewhere, which, again, the fact that he's in a Lego set doesn't, to me, absolutely prove. But, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, but if there is, um, you know, what kind of glimpses of orc culture we're going to get? I mean, it's one of the big questions, really, um, that I think the whole Misty Mountain sequence raises, especially since, as we've discussed before, we all kind of expect the, their time in Goblin Town to be quite expanded from what it is uh, in, the, in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the one time where we're really given the opportunity in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, essentially, to see the homes of goblins. I mean, the closest we get otherwise is Frodo and Sam's trip through Mordor, but those are only army camps. We don't actually see where they live. Um, so actually getting to see glimpses of the home life of orcs that is conceivable in this context both when they both when they're being captured and even more so when they're escaping i mean you've got to imagine it's quite possible that when you know gandalf and um and the dwarves are 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 fleeing that they're going to end up blundering through you know, places the goblins didn't expect right. them to go. You know, we could have, it, it is, it is, I'm not saying I'm predicting this will happen, but it is conceivable that we could get them, you know, like tromping through goblin living rooms and daycare centers and stuff like that. So, you know, who knows? Um, but, but it does give, if, if it turns <laughs> out, centers. Yeah, exactly. if it turns out that uh, Peter Jackson and company are interested to depict goblin culture. You know, if they do want to show a kind of, here's the other side of the curtain thing, however they decide to take that, they, they, will, they would have the opportunity to do it. So, you know, it may be that the goblin scribe is a kind of glimpse at, um, you know, some idea of an actual alternate right. culture that the goblins have. The other interesting thing, and actually it, this is part of the Lego set too, but I know it's also been uh, written as far as goblin culture in one of the publications, is, you know, they do talk about the goblins being scavengers. The interesting part is the goblin town apparently is made up of literally, you know, like scavenged doors and, and, 
and skeleton pieces and I mean so they use like I think like the bridge and the Lego set I think the bridge is actually made you know you could identify like doors and and other kind of you know pieces that would have maybe been salvaged from a building or something so that's I think that whole set is going to be really interesting yeah yeah definitely definitely um, <clears throat> good well okay I think uh, we should probably oh, I've got to go here pretty soon oh, yep. I, one last thing I wanted to say I wanted to get and hopefully we don't dis I don't want to disappoint everybody that we're ending so early. I know. It's only been like two hours. Uh, what are we doing? But uh, anyway, yeah, no, we do, I, I do have to run. But um, I did want to give a little update about our Mythmoot gathering for the watching of the film and the discussion thereof uh, in December 15th and 16th uh, in Baltimore. And uh, th we have been, we have had a lot of people register. Um, I did want to say that seats are kind of going fast at this point. Um, there has been a steady stream of registration. We have over 70 people attending now. And wow. um, there, there are still, we're, we're about two thirds of the way, a little bit more than two thirds of the way sold out. So um, if you yeah. are interested in coming and haven't gotten your ticket yet, sooner is probably better than later because we really do have a cap. Once we, once we sell out, we're not going to, we, you know, we have a, <clears throat> we only have the one room available to us at the hotel and it only fits so many people. So we're not going to be able to uh, to sell other tickets beyond that beyond our number. So um, so if you're thinking about coming, do do move on it uh, sooner rather than later. Um, we had some exciting news since our last uh, episode, um, where Peter Beagle, the author of The Last Unicorn and the uh, screenwriter for the Bakshi Lord of the Rings film interpretation, is going to be coming. <laughs> Uh, he's flying out from California for the event, so he's going to be there. Well, he he will take part in the panel discussion of the film. He's done a lot of stuff with films, of course. Not only did he do, um, did he work on the on the the Lord of the Rings film um, with Ralph Bakshi, but he also, of course, um, worked on the film adaptation of the Last Unicorn. And uh, film is is a, is a world that he's worked in a lot. So I know he's really interested to see. You know, he's a big fan of uh, Jackson's. Lord of the Rings. And he and he is joining us to watch the movie as That's well right. as yeah. the thing. So he All will right. be actually in the theater with us. An yep. opportunity yeah. to hold with someone and... responsible for the Ralph Bakshi adaptation. Oh God. I was gonna say let's let's be nice to him about this. <laughs> no, I said I, and I will say with that I am not a fan of the Ralph Bakshi films, but I will say Peter's part in it I find entirely entirely respectable. I think that yeah, Peter okay. Beagle yeah. can hold No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. When, it, when it comes to the Ralph Bakshi stuff, because he the screenplay that he wrote is I mean he did as as admirable a job as you could to use as much as possible of Tolkien's actual dialogue. You know the oh, the thing that I uh, that I always say about films how you can't just have the book put on screen. Well, by golly, Beagle did his best to actually make that happen. You <laughs> yep. know, take the text and the dialogue of the of the book and put it up on screen. Whatever you think about Bakshi's rather curious. Uh, visual interpretation of the, of the of the works, and whatever you might think of some of the actors' performances, um, I don't know who plays Sam, but I I hold a personal grudge against whoever is the dude who played Sam uh, in the Bakshi version. Um, but, but anyway, um, so whatever you might think about this other stuff, I think the screenplay is extremely well done and very interesting and entirely respectable. So uh, I think that Peter Beagle's part in it is 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 in my eyes and. Anyway, 
the best part of the whole film. Anyway, so Peter is going to be coming, and of course, you know, as many of you know, I'm a big fan of The Last Unicorn. I, I think it's one of the greatest works of fantasy written uh, in the 20th century. I mean, it is certainly, in my eyes, in, in absolutely the top echelon of post-Tolkien fantasy. Um, the Last Unicorn is just a, one of the classics, I think, of the oh, fantasy genre. Daniel Helen says it... Interestingly, it premiered 34 years ago today. Daniel, you're talking about the Bakshi film or Last Unicorn? Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know we had a 34 years ago today. today. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Peter, Peter is coming to join us. So we will have Peter Beagle there, and uh, he will take part in our. We'll have some, you know, we'll have the opportunity to do some, uh, some, some Q and A and everything with him, and as part of our, uh, you know, That's he'll exciting. be coming banquet. And he'll be coming to the film and everything. So anyway, so that's we're 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 very excited to welcome uh, to welcome Peter. Of course, he'll be signing books, and he will even have. Okay, are you ready for this? Um, he ha he still has some of the first edition DVDs of the Lord of the Rings of the Bakshi Lord of the Rings film. Uh, which, oh my god! Uh, which he's going to have available, which he will autograph. So yeah. Oh wow. That's right. He's he's the he's going to be selling stuff at the back of the room. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna have books and stuff, and he'll be he'll he'll be he'll be doing signings and everything. So that'll be a lot of fun. So anyway, so the 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 Mythmoot uh, preparations carry on apace. It's going to be a lot of fun. As I said, we already have uh, we already have. I think our total guest list is up to about eighty now. Um, wow. Uh, so we still have some seats left, but not all that many. But it's going to be it's going to be a big event, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, so I definitely. Um, uh, I definitely, um, you know, invite you all to look into that. You'll still find a link to it if you go to the Mythgard homepage, uh, you know, Mythgard.org. There's a little uh, link to it over on the right-hand side, a little box uh, linking to the Mythmoot. That's the easiest place you can find all the information and the registration information to get your tickets. So cool. Um, Billy's asking where it's going to be next year. I suspect, don't you, Corey? We're probably going to do. So, same geographical location. Probably, yeah, we'll see. It's it's conceivable that it might change. I might, um, I'm I'm still kind of tempted to keep it. I I, I it probably won't move west, um, which Billy I suspect is what you're hoping for. Um, mostly because we actually have uh, several people, at least three, possibly four, who are flying over from Europe to attend the Mythmoot. And if we put it in California, it makes it pretty much impossible for uh, Europeans to be able to come over the East Coast, at least is equally inconvenient for people on the West Coast and people from Europe. Um, <laughs> so for that reason, you and, know, thinking and about And probably it, most you know, importantly, think... moving it makes it inconvenient for you. <laughs> And right. Corey, that's you are right. the you are the you are the linchpin and anchor of this thing, and uh, moving it elsewhere right. makes it much much more likely to fail. Yeah, well, it's, it, it is it is harder. So, and for that reason, it'll probably stay on the East Coast. But you know, will it be in Baltimore? Not necessarily. As Trish says, probably, but uh, but but it, but not absolutely. Are we definitely doing it next year? Yeah, I certainly want to do it next year. Um, I mean, I would definitely like to. You know, my my plan is to do. I want to do a big. Uh, Mythgard conference. That is a big international Tolkien academic con. Academic and fan conference, um, like the Tolkien Society's Return of the Ring conference so that happened this past summer. Maybe we I should want to uh, do one of those. But maybe we should plan a. Maybe we should plan another another like um, modest movie thing for uh, for next year, and then uh, for the following summer when the third film comes out, go crazy and do a conference. 
Yeah, there you well, go. Well, that was that was that was my thought. I think I'm actually going to push it to the year after that because I want to be able. Uh, what I would really like is to be able to have some of the film people attend. Oh, I see. Oh, that makes and sense. Probably going to be involved in 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 stuff. Whereas a year a year later, right. so if we do it in the summer of 2015, then right. um, that might we might even be able to get people like uh, you know Peter Jackson or Philip Boyens or Richard Taylor to attend the conference, right. which is whatever right. they like. Um, so uh, now Brent was asking, will it be live or just podcasted? I am working on that, Brent. Uh, we're definitely going to be videoing pieces of it, so there will at least be you know something come out after. Not sure about live streaming yet, but we're working on that. Yeah, that 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 may well be possible, um, but uh, but yeah, at, at the very least, we will be recording a bunch of it, and we can certainly audio stream um, quite a bit of it. So. Um, and Brent's uh, Brent's score sheet that he and I are working on the the one we're going to be able to provide everybody to take of all the riddles and conundrum. That Brent, I want you to know that that will be figuring largely in Mythmoot, so you will be oh, there yes. in spirit if nothing else. Yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, so um, well, I think I should let you uh, let everybody guy, uh, go now. So but thanks for your help and working <laughs> yeah, out our riddle today. One and, one uh, last thing, actually. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, sure. So so uh, Trish and I are going to try to do a digest next week. Uh, Yay! And then we've got basically two two weeks until the film comes out. I guess three from next week. So the premiere is in New Zealand on November twenty eighth, which is um, in, in like. 10 days, I think, 13 days. So I guess two weeks, basically. So um, we we may try to do what we're, we'll talk, Corey and Trish and I will talk it over and figure out our schedule for upcoming episodes. But we might try to do something right around, uh, maybe right after the premiere, because I'm sure despite their best efforts, something, will, some information will leak out. So. Yeah, so I think yeah, we'll probably be able to, I think we'll do one, maybe we'll do one more episode before that. Um, mm -hmm. And then we can do uh, another episode. Then, After then there the will premiere. still be one more episode that will happen prior. To oh American well, you know, actually, and we were talking about the next. Um, I'm echoing. I can hear myself. Sorry. Um, uh, we were talking about the next episode, Corey, being one that that the listeners kind of vote on what will be yes. the topic. Yes, I, yeah, I, I would like to do that. Um, so yeah, we should. Uh, so people who are listening, do look out for that. Um, we will have certainly on the Riddles in the Dark Facebook page um, an opportunity for you guys to vote on what to to right. topics for our next episode. Um, if there are things that we haven't talked about that you've been hoping we would that we you know that we, that we haven't gotten to yet, do let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about, and we will we could even address several of them. Um, yeah. So I'll put a poll question up that allows folks to enter in their own stuff. Yeah. You know, in other words, just type in what you want, and then people can vote on it. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So we will definitely be uh, be, be looking forward to that. So, uh, so they can be small things. We can do a bunch of small things. We can do a couple bigger topics. Whatever you guys want us to talk about. So. So yes, thanks for mentioning that, Trish, because that's what we, what we were thinking about for our next episode. Right. Um, so okay. And then the, the and then just one other thing, the one right before, so December 11th is is a Tuesday, but it might sometime that week would be the one right before the movie comes out. And and what what I had teed up for that was for us to go through all of the riddles and conundra, clarify anything that needs to be clarified. You know, just kind of do a big review. Yeah, that would probably and then and that's when we can also then, in the context of that, talk about. Uh, things that have leaked out of New Zealand. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> well, right. So, okay, good, good, excellent. Um, 
very good. Well, then uh, I should let everybody go then. But thanks for joining us, everybody. And uh, uh, we, will, we will speak to you guys again soon in a couple weeks. So thanks for listening, and Godspeed. The bottles and burn the corks Take the glasses and pack the plates That's what Bilbo Baggins hates Cut the cloth, trail the fat Leave the bones on the bedroom mat Pour the milk on the pantry floor Splash the wine on every door Dump the crotch in a boiling bowl Pound them up with a thumping pole And when you're finished, if they are whole